the Everything Sequel Podcast is brought to you by Tua T Fitness and the Vegas Beer Guys. Today's episode is brought to you by the Sounds in Cinema Podcast. The Everything Sequel Podcast contains explicit language. You have been forewarned. Welcome to the Everything Sequel Podcast. This is an Indiana Jones edition. Today, we're talking The Last Crusade. My name is Michael Schantz of the How Dare You Awards. Joining me, the man, the myth, the legend, donning his hat, Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions. Say hi, Tom. I should have mailed it to the Marx Brothers. (laughs) Will you take it easy? Just great a, line, great delivery. Great delivery. That's what. That's where yeah. the film kicks into gear for me. That, oh. that moment. It's the first. It's the first sort of great comedic line in the entire movie. What I like is because they they both equally fuck up mm-hmm. throughout the movie. <laughs> they do, and and they don't always catch each other, but sometimes they do. I love it when he when Henry calls the Germans dolts. Do you think my son would be dumb enough to break the book here? And Harrison Ford has to give him that great look of, like, a great look to a dad of, uh, well, now hang on a second. And then later and, and on, co- when, yeah. when they escape, and, yep. and, and he's saying, well, we got to go back to get the book. And he goes, can't you remember? Like, he's a doddering <laughs> old man. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. It's there's something you know. I again, I I suspect that it's true that every word that comes out of Sean Connery's mouth was written by Tom Stoppard. But uh-huh. this line particularly, I feel I feel like that's a line that was agonized over. Like they could have gone for the Three Stooges, they could have gone for Laurel and Hardy, <laughs> right. but they went. But the music of it works better with the Marx Brothers. And you know, <laughs> once they found out that that would historically make sense for 1938, yeah. they must have literally been a been a hallelujah moment yeah right uh slapping high fives and with connery's accent of course it's yeah just adds to the music of it (laughs) well here we are ladies and gentlemen we're talking indiana jones and the last crusade a 1989 film directed by steven spielberg we mentioned him in the last episode you probably know his work uh this movie 84 percent on rotten tomatoes and, you know, for this original, what was originally a trilogy, mm-hmm. you still have to kind of marvel at what they get for out of their bucks, because this one, I'm, the money's upped, but a budget of $48 million. It's pretty much exactly the same people working on the movie yeah. as well, and that's got, that's got to it really, cause trim it the streamlines. budget down. Because, yeah, it must streamline the budget, because yeah. you don't. You, you don't have to waste time and resources telling people their jobs. Right. They know exactly what to do. They can kind of predict each other. I mean, for the first, basically the first time in my in my uh, years now doing credit checks, uh, <laughs> I've never seen two sets of credits more identical than this in Temple of Doom. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I didn't, I, I, I don't, I start, I start powering down during the credits. 
And well, uh, you, because you know I've got your back, right? I, you've you, got, you know, I know so. you have my back, and unless I see something bird-related that I won't remember later, or whatever it was. Well, the, well you, I, I, yeah, it was, it was, you, I said giant bugs. And you bugs, said, oh, that's that what it was. Remind, oh, that reminds me of something, and that's as far as we've got with that memory. I can't even remember bugs between birds. Yeah, you can, well, yeah, you can recall the opening crawl to Kyle under to the quickening word for word. <laughs> Doesn't make any sense. Nope. Uh, uh, this movie had opening weekend of $29.3 million. In the USA, 197.1. And in the world, 474.1 million. You know what it reminds me of? I mean, we taught, you know, obviously we'll get to the Dial of Destiny at the end of this series. And we've already in the ranking episode talked about how kind of bloated the running time of that movie is. For sure. And although it's... we have we have we have no room to talk about bloated running times. No, I, no, 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 no. After we finish recording the last episode, it's like I, I, re- I really need to give Dial of Destiny an easier time for its <laughs> for its length after what we just did. I, I had that thought when we when we finished up recording for Temple of Doom as well because I, I, I remember thinking to myself, fuck, we, we talked an hour more about that movie than that movie's yeah. running time. Yeah. But it it just, as I'm looking at this, the, you know, the money corner of this movie mm-hmm. and seeing that in the USA it only made $197.1 million, which would be, you know... I think today would be looked at as like a terrible tragedy, right? It's just not enough money. It seems but that way, yeah. When you only spend fifty million dollars on your movie, mm-hmm. it. it's not a problem. And also, you know, there was a lot of it, there was stiff competition that year. I mean, think how many yeah. blockbusters came out in nineteen eighty nine. Right. Got, you know, you've got Bond films, you've got superhero movies. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, this is the summer that... of Batman that was kind of taking over. At that time, and this movie would have been released just probably a week or two before that movie. I think in context, it's a, it's a success. But yeah, you you it both both because they manage their budget better than mm-hmm. um, than other movies did, but also because they they chose to release it in a year in in a year where there hasn't really been any more blockbusters than there ever has throughout history mm-hmm. released in the same year, right. All right. Well, as always, we'll start with some credits. We have the old school Paramount logo changing into a mountain, this time in the Utah desert. Yeah. Back to it being an actual peak. and, and An actual and peak? Re- reusing the classic title font from Raids of the Lost And, Dark. yeah, I was going to say, going back to, back to form. What I can't figure out. And it's out. funny because I – sorry to interrupt, but – No, it's okay. You know, <laughs> when I – when I go back and watch, say, uh, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, that feels like a necessary step in mm. credit font of, remember how much you like us. <laughs> this is, yeah. you know, and it doesn't seem necessary here, but it still feels like a compulsion of the movie. Well, I, I don't know what the compulsion is driven by, whether it's the adverse reaction to Temple of Doom, both mm-hmm. from the people who made it and the people who saw it, or is it simply a byproduct of what we talk about 
all the time with trilogies that they inevitably loop back to the original movie. Yeah, right. I think it's potentially both, but I'd be interested to see what the balance of those two tensions are Mm -hmm. with this. Because sometimes I I feel like they were always going to go back to the well of Raiders. The literal well of souls, I suppose. Yeah. (laughs) And and another part of me thinks, no, they, they just wanted to you know, they wanted to get the um, the bad taste of Temple of Doom out of their mouths. Right. Which I... So, no, I mean, we don't feel that way, I, but we know that... I take umbrage. Umbrage, I say. And like you say, Spielberg and, and Lucas have, you know, somewhat disowned that movie as well. Yeah. So it makes sense that they would want to get away from it as much as possible in these early moments of the movie. When you watch these movies back-to-back, too, I... You know, it's like these opening credits are everything that Temple of Doom is not. It's pretty to look at, but it's not very interesting. Oh, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. I really couldn't agree. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it feels like (laughs) it's that kind of what Quentin Tarantino in uh, True Romance call, the screenplay True Romance calls the coffee table movie. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's the opening to a coffee table movie. Yeah, totally. Uh, the kind of and you know it's, uh, the it sort of starts with it is Monument Valley that we're in, right? Or it's uh, oh no, is it Utah? It's Utah. Or, I think it's or, Arches or, National Park. Okay, so we're filming in Utah, and it's also in Utah. Yeah, correct. But the the idea is to recreate the the sense of Monument Valley visually from the John Ford. Yeah, pro- Yeah, right? that that makes sense. And we're meant to think that we're in. A western because it looks like the cavalry on horseback the music as well is sort of less in it's less yeah it's certainly less interesting it feels almost ethereal yeah you know it's conservative you know it's conservative it's it's closer to to raiders than than anything they did in temple of doom and i think that's deliberate as well to kind of tone it down to Mm -hmm. something that they know works rather than something that was a big risk Mm mm-hmm yeah, but it it's... feels like the credits of Temple of Doom have an idea behind it. And oh, I, this I, just doesn't, I you know? Yeah. Well, it yeah, and it has a, you know, it's a... It Other than have... to kind of revert back. Other than to, to revert back and to, you know, plug another classic kind of Hollywood mm-hmm. uh, genre look. Right. But I, I think the, the key is not in a not very interesting way. Mm-hmm. There's so much more going on in the intro of Temple of Doom. Uh, uh, yeah, I agree. We well, uh, something I, in the titles that's interesting is that they, you know, Sean Connery gets a and credit, mm-hmm. and Sean Connery is Professor Henry Jones. And I wonder, I assume by the time the movie was released, it was no secret that he was going to be in the movie and playing indiana jones's father no yeah we all knew that i wonder whether we're at a, t- a period in hollywood history where you can't keep that secret anymore because i felt like i feel like if you could have kept that secret until people actually saw the movie you would because how much how, know, but, uh, uh, how incredible uh, would that reveal yeah connery's face be yeah absolutely but at the same time you're you're start. I feel like you're starting to get into the area of big budget marketing. Yeah, with these that's big what budget I mean. movies. Mm-hmm. And I don't so, think you can do it. I, I yeah, I just don't think you have to. You you have to use them to sell it. Yeah. Right. I agree. Agreed. Yeah. It's you know we're post entertainment tonight. We there's no way you can keep that secret anymore. Yeah. 
but I think I think in an ideal world that would be a reveal that happens in the movie, not mm-hmm. in the titles. Right, right, right. Well, and then we find our titular character as a young yeah, man in the form of River Phoenix. Spielberg's not abandoning children as a sequel character device, is no, he? Is, yeah, he's, not du- at all. he's doubling down on that. Very much so. But this was and... another, I believe, another Lucas concession. This is not how Spielberg wanted the movie to start. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Because I was just about to ask you. <laughs> and what... given what happens with prequels in <laughs> Lucasfilm after this, I don't right. think that's any surprise. Well, what do you think? Just speaking generally, what do you think of this opening scene? Because I have never been as big a fan as most people seem to be. Me, I agree. I think it ultimately flaws falls flat. But if you know, if you're asking specifically about River Phoenix's performance, I think it's I think it's excellent. I That's that's where I want, I... I want him in the movie, but I want it to be executed better. That's what I want. Yeah. Yeah, I don't take issue I, with hmm. the casting. No, no. And no. if well, you watch the picked by Harrison Ford. Yeah, I was gonna say if you watch the behind the scenes stuff, it was Harrison Ford that said the one person that looks the most like me at that age is this kid named River Phoenix. And he also in Mosquito Coast, he was yeah. doing impersonations of Harrison Ford. Uh, well, exactly right. Yeah. So it makes total, but but it's not just an impersonation. He's uh, he's definitely bringing his own film star gravitas, even at that young age, mm-hmm. to the role. So it's a great choice, both because of his resemblance to Harrison Ford, but also his resemblance to the film stardom of Harrison Ford. He's someone who can carry that same gravitas with him. In a uh, yeah, that I agree with. But the compulsion but- to try and explain everything that we know about indie. Up until now, well, I feel like I and, mean that's all, and, and, and beyond that, in in a rather, it, to me, it's a little dull. Yeah. Um. So, I mean, the the when the children, when the <laughs> the, the, the child scouts all line up and Herman falls off his horse, right? It's giving me like a bad news bears vibe. Very, yeah, like, this very is not, much so. Like, like in in Temple of Doom, you're like, okay, so we've got a kid in the movie. This feels like a kid kids movie, mm-hmm. and that seems to be the that's how ch- the use of children has has changed. But it also reminds me of Bad News Bears because we're using the fat kid as the right <laughs> as as the center of attention for jokes. Definitely, and I kind of I find it a a bit. I think what similar to what you're saying, um, I find it a little bit tiresome that it, it it tries so hard to deceive you into thinking something else is going on. Mm-hmm. Like it wants you to think that we're gonna find Indy in his adulthood, and that these two kids have discovered him on an archaeological dig by not showing anyone show- for a while by showing us the fedora. And Richard Young, you know, by the way, again, yeah. is back in our lives. And, well, yeah, and as you know, fresh off the set from. Uh, I don't, uh, and I don't think that Jason the, series the beginning. Yeah, and yeah. I don't think they thought through the ramifications of, uh, you know, what a damp squib it is for the character that you think is indie to turn around and it's revealed to be 
you know, indie standing essentially, <laughs> who turns around and sort of like, I sort of like, what are we supposed to get from that except disappointment? Well, and I, I, I also, I'm not sure I understand because this is the, this is sort of a seminal moment in in the young kid's life. He's going to be searching for this object, the cross, for yeah. most of his life. Yeah, sure. in, into his forties, and. This is this is this is a he loses. He loses. He's you know, he feels like he got cheated out of this. He won the day. He got home with the cross. It was taken away from him. Yeah, I think they try to cover it with that line about, you know, you you lost a day, kid, but you don't have to like it. It just seems weird that he would mold himself after this guy that fucked him over. The guy that fucked him over. And, and, you know, what a memory on this kid that he can recall every every uh, inch of that man's dress sense. Yeah, right. <laughs> and imitate it in late, later life. Yeah, it's... I mean, and then, you know, once once we see River Phoenix's face, the we reveal that the movie is a prequel, or at least it starts as a prequel. Yeah, right. After the last movie was also a prequel. <laughs> and that sort of... And then, and you know, that's why you have the delayed timestamp. Yeah. To show you that it's... That it's somewhere that it's in Indiana Jones's youth, nineteen twelve, I think. I think it was, yeah. Uh, and it, you know, it's sort of uh, for the sake of viewer trickery, it comes too late into the scene, mm-hmm. <laughs> and now we're thinking, oh, this is so. This is supposed to be where Indiana Jones got his idea for his costume. Yeah, right. Um, which, in addition to many other things, the scar on his it, chin, the. Yeah. Uh, we're surprised to find out he's not afraid of sa- snakes. To find out why he is afraid of snakes, yeah, and on and on and on and on. It just sort of never stops. And I guess you know it's like all the comedy in the previous movie was pitched in a way where mm. it's almost always making me laugh. It's always good, and this movie will have that too, but not for fifty minutes until Henry Senior shows up. And in this front scene, it's. It's all winking to, towards the audience. It's all, yeah, the, hey, look at us. Don't you love this? Don't you love this? It's so waving its arms at the audience saying, like me, like me, like me. And the skipping ahead a little bit. And I the, don't. We, <laughs> when we get to the magic disappearing act, I'm like, in this one scene, it's far more on the nose and silly than anything in Temple of Doom was. Yeah, exactly. And Temple of Doom is the movie that has the reputation for that. Yeah. But there's nothing quite as as um, obscene as that in in any of Temple. I agree with you completely. How does he also, know how to use that box? <laughs> also, everything is kind of elevated in in a way that feels really phony. Like the one, like the one of the other. So you've got you've got uh, Lifetime Indiana Jones. Mm-hmm. You've got um, the guy who looks like Alice Cooper. And and then there's this there's this kid who who's is always doing, yipping and yawn. <laughs> oh my god! This he's doing this gold perspective whooping. I mean, yeah. we're laying on the western cliche so thick and cartoonishly mm-hmm. here. Yeah, like I believe his actual lines are: "We got some woo woo." <laughs> and, but but in the middle of that, River, River's doing a great job of managing the Ford impression with his own strengths and quirks. Mm-hmm. 
like I love that when the hair falls on the, in the middle of his face. I mean, that's a River Phoenix moment. That's not a Harrison Ford. Yeah, moment. right. That's something you only get with this actor, which is why it's a better it's a better alternative to de aging. Always, I I that like is going to bring something new every yes. time. I like that it's River centric. I'm not. I I also always wonder. What are hairstyles like in 1912? I'm not sure this jives for me. No, no, you, you know? and that's yeah. It's it, you know. It's, so uh, I, it, it's working it, for the actor, but against the movie. Definitely, that yeah. is definitely true. And you know, this is a niche form of acting, isn't it? You know, movies like The Godfather Part Two and Solo, again with Harrison Ford. Mm-hmm. There's only a handful of actors who've pl- done this kind of style of acting where you're simultaneously. Yeah, you're not only you're kind of not you're not only replacing a film character, but you're replacing an actor playing a film character. Right. At the same time, so it's not even like being the new Bond or the new Spider Man. Right. Right. As a, it's another level to that, which is that you've got to take on the actor. You have to take on some of the person. Yeah. Because you're still the same person. Yeah, and the fact that he comes out with it, and we don't think anything of it, I think says it yeah. all about how good that performance is. I'll agree. And you know he's Indy's in his pre-snake phobia stage, not for long, but um, <laughs> yeah. for the next minute. Uh, and back when he only stole artifacts from other grave robbers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's, he's he's kind of at this he's point so he's so sanctimonious Robin in this well, movie. Robin, this is like his Robin Hood period, isn't it? Yeah, where, right. <laughs> although they, you know, the, the, they come out of the gates retconning um, the his. Uh, dislike of museums from yeah and now he loves them yeah um which doesn't make any sense that you know what i guess i don't like about it the most (laughs) is that it's not just that he seems to like them it's that the movie seems to say how important museums are yeah they 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 want they definitely i mean again and just watch a 60 minutes report on how fucked up what museums do to other countries it's not for necessarily a good thing. Well, that was it. Back in October, when I was watching, you know, doing my my uh, horror movie a day, mm-hmm. I watched the 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 original Boris Karloff Mummy. Yeah. And I was like, you know, it's great if you can buy the British Museum as the heroes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that does that uh, dynamic doesn't work anymore. No, not at all. Yeah. So it's. It's it's yeah it's a if you contrast that to the opening of Temple of Doom, they're building in that movie they're building on the moral ambiguity of the character. This movie is about kind of whitewashing yeah that right ambiguity yeah. as much as possible. So it comes out of the gates in defense of learning and preservation mm-hmm. by like a question nobody asked him, but that yeah we right. find out how he feels about it. Um, and it's it's the safe option. Well, when, I... you know. It's not punching a cigarette girl in the face. No, right, right. To start your movie. <laughs> but on top of all of this, and it's not the first time we're going to talk about this, but this whole front scene and so much of this movie is all a tip of the hat saying goodbye to the audience. Mm. It's all it's all signal signaling that this is the end of the series, which it's not. So retroactively... And, and and it's a dangerous thing to a sequel to do, as we yeah exactly before. right yeah you got to keep your options open. Mm-hmm. There's a great line in here which I'm convinced Tom Stoppard wrote, which is uh, "Everybody's lost but me." Yeah, that feels like 
the guy who wrote every entrance's an exit to somewhere else. <laughs> and it, and there's a callback to it later, which I suspect was also written by Don Sarpat. Probably. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, we're minutes into the movie and two horses have fallen over already. Or two people have fallen from horses already. Yeah. Which lets you know that there's going to be a lot of comedic undercutting in this movie. Not not comedy, but comedic undercutting of moments. That's a good way to put it, yeah. Of like... Uh, of potentially heroic moments. <laughs> and it's you, what this scene reminds me of with the car chasing the horse across the, uh, the desert plains. Mm-hmm. Back to the Future Part 3. Yeah. You put those shot. You put the scene where they arrive in the old west in the DeLorean and this side by side. I bet it's right. exactly the same shots. Just and that's two movies in the same year. In the same year, cho- right? Which chose to be kind of western-based prequel versions of the franchise. They just switch. In one, the heroes on the horse, and in the other, the heroes in the car. 1989 was a busy year. Busy, busy, busy. <laughs> there, weren't, there weren't enough ideas to go around. <laughs> and yeah, you get and you get the sense that, you know, they picked the circus carriage of the train. Not that many trains have circus carriages, I don't think. Right. Maybe they did in 1912. Because they, they know it's a, it's a, it's the gateway to a series of sight gags. Yeah. That they can do. Rhinos no and reason. giraffes and lions, snakes yeah. and eels. And I, I guess the other rationale is how would Indy have all of his formative experiences in one place? Mm-hmm. I mean, a circus carriage of a train is literally the only place he could do all of that back to back. Yeah. Where there would be access to a whip, a lion, a snake. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And, but you know, Luke, Luke, the, it's interesting because this is this feels like the next decade of Lucasfilm in a nutshell. Because I think you're right about that. Yeah, Young Indiana Jones series, which comes a few years after this, and then mm-hmm. you've got the Star Wars prequels. So sure, everything they're doing in these scenes is kind of uh, a runway to to that. Mm-hmm. Because it is, it's young, you know, it's it's it feels like a backdoor pilot for a young Indiana Jones TV series, which I'm sure George Lucas has already conceived of at this point. Mm-hmm. But it I also mean, it was probably like... he probably pushed this whole front scene on Steven Spielberg just to test how well a yeah. young Indiana Jones thing could look, yeah. sound, and feel. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's still, you know, and as we've said before when we discussed the Star Wars prequels, what what the Star Wars prequels were was what the industry eventually became. Mm-hmm. And it's true here in, in the same sense, because, you know, prequels became huge for a long period of time. We're sort of easing off them now and more into reboots and yeah, and multiverse. Multiverse, but, right. Yeah, but um, for a long time, you know, you, you, the, your first choice was to, your first port of call was a prequel. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this is formative in that um, that shift. Sure. This is where Indy got the idea to be afraid of unconvincing snakes. <laughs> and I mean, it's been said to death, but it's worth mentioning again, all his formative life events happen in the space of a few minutes of screen sure. time. Yeah. The, the scar, the whip. All the most important things in his life. The snake phobia. We're on this one train. <laughs> Yeah, and it including it, it the hat. You, 
I mean, he gets the hat from the guy, you know? He gets the hat. He gets his dress sense. Yeah. Gets his and whip, gets his scar, gets his fear of snakes. I mean, that's a lot. It is. Oh, I mean, it's ridiculous. It's obscene. Uh, it is obscene. The It's interesting that they learned the wrong lessons from Temple of Doom, like just having the animal fun is yeah, not right. enough. Right, like right. for all for all my critiques of those scenes in which this you know animal fun is too much of a distraction from a, the core of a really good dramatic scene. Yeah, at least Temple knows you need a core dramatic scene in there. Yeah, not just exactly. animal fun, <laughs> not just animal hijinks, which is all this this is. Sure, and it's funny too because we're we're introducing Panama Hat as though he's Belloc. Or like a Belloc type character, or uh, Ra- uh, Ravenwood. Yeah, just to have him be Adler. killed three minutes later, because once he gets the once, once Fedora puts the Fedora on Indiana Jones and we're on this boat. Yeah, uh, I always. Oh, Pan! You mean Panama Hat? Sorry, I thought you meant Fedora. No, I got it. No, yeah, Panama Hat. I don't know why the characters are named after hats, but yeah, exactly right. Fedora and oh. Panama hat. Yeah. Well, he, yeah, I mean, they did that with Lao Che as well. They burned him in the first 10 minutes, but. Sure. But I, and you brought up the idea of uh, it belongs in a museum, a museum. So do you. Mm. And we're so early on in this series. It's that's dangerous talk. When... But you're right. It's, it's another tip of the hat, literally a, a tip of the Panama hat to saying goodbye. Isn't yeah, it? absolutely. One thing I, I, I retrospectively appreciate about this scene is that it does establish once... Actually, it's again, it's only when Indy is in contact with his father that this movie works. Mm-hmm. When he goes back to the house and he tries to tell... He try, tries to, he does the scene from It's a Wonderful Life where yeah, right. he asks Dad, yeah. trying to, you know... No, Dad, you listen to me. You know how that feel-good Christmas movie begins with a pharmacist ne- nearly poisoning... <laughs> <laughs> poisoning his own son to death. Um, <laughs> classic Hollywood feel-good movie. Good stuff. Great stuff. Uh, and so they establish a lot of plot points in this scene. Obviously, the Grail Diary. So mm-hmm. this is the first time that we have the MacGuffin in the opening. That's true. Scene. Yeah, we've got one MacGuffin for the entire movie this time. Not. Well, it's like a MacGuffin and a half, like because the real MacGuffin is the Grail itself, but then you have the half. That famous, that diary. famous Burt Reynolds, Alfred Hitchcock vehicle, MacGuffin <laughs> and a half. <laughs> but also the dog, which doesn't pay off until the end of the movie, right? Yeah, and uh, also the something that's done quite subtly is that he uh, is well, obviously. The, establishing the idea that Sean Connery is a distant father and that there's tension in their relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, but he makes him count in Greek. Yeah. And yet in the final scene of the movie, he needs to know Latin. Yeah, right. So I, so it's, it's like it's introducing the idea that he knows classic languages, but it's not so on the nose. That but it's, it's not a, so. Yeah, right. Yeah. It's it's Greek rather than Latin, and a, and again, a stupider modern day movie would absolutely have him counting in Latin. Yeah, even probably saying Jehovah <laughs> right. to, to, yeah, to so. show you. But they've got the you know they've got the they've got the nouse here to sort of 
just make it just like okay, so he knows. So he knows like things. Yeah, exactly. And well, uh, you know, we that... talked about it. I think a little bit in the last episode, in the sense of here, it makes complete sense. Mm-hmm. Where he he says, "What does he say? Is it count to ten or a hundred? Count to ten. Ten in Greek. In Greek. And in but what you have the sense of." Is the education that he's getting beyond his schooling just at home with his father? Yeah. And that's enough. That's all you need for the end of that movie. But it gets unwieldy toward later on in the series about how much, you know, how much knowledge Indiana Jones actually has. It seems to me by the end of this series, he just speaks every language in the world. Yeah. Including dead yeah. ones. All the dead ones, too. Yeah, at this point, we, we still feel the need to set up something specific he might know going right. into the finale of the movie but they now once they kind of create the idea that that he's had a rounded education they exploit that mm-hmm. for all it's worth yeah and then the bugle spit take mm-hmm. it's like going really hard on every joke within sight oh yeah and it's like if you're watching this for the first time you're already getting the feeling that this could be very tedious to sustain for an entire movie right <laughs> Well, and speaking of tedious, I mean, for me, I'm thinking about the uh, what I'll still call cold opens of, even so, though they're yeah. not, of Raiders and Temple they're of Doom. They're in that tradition. Yeah, they're, they're in that in tradition. tradition of a cold open. Yeah. Uh, and when I think about beginning, middle, and end, those have them. This one has a beginning and a middle and an end, but at the end, I'm only left with questions because... Jumping off of a ship into the ocean seems like, A, a terrible plan to escape. Uh, Uh, B, once the ship explodes, great. I guess they're not going to be after you anymore. And I get the joke that there's a life raft there or a, yeah. But that doesn't mean you're safe. Like there's no, you know, he flies off on the plane away from danger and darts and raiders. He gets mm-hmm. on a plane. He doesn't realize that he's stepped into another <laughs> trap on that plane. But that's he... interesting because that's an inversion, isn't it? The plane right. in the in Raiders means safety, and the plane in Temple means it's doom, death. Yeah, <laughs> or the possibility of it's Temple of Doom Airlines. Yeah, exactly. And, but You're this right. this and, this one yeah. poses uh, questions that don't get answered. How how is that guy safe? And so to me. It's all a little... It finishes muddled. Yes, it does. That doesn't help this movie. It's... It doesn't... Uh, I'll tell you what else doesn't help this movie. Again, like... Indy learns his mistrust of authority in the... In the scene where the crooked sheriff gives mm-hmm. the artifacts back to Panama Hat. And Fedora. And it's like... Well, that means he has to relearn that lesson. Why is he relearning that lesson in Raiders? Right. Why would he ever trust authority again? <laughs> so it doesn't even make sense within the prequel format that they've established. And no sure. one asked them. No one asked for a prequel, like a, a, a childhood prequel. And yeah, the, when the, you know, when the, the government the... comes calling, he hmm. should say, no, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I've been here before. Been here before. Times. No one, no, no, I know how this ends. And, uh. But that's it, what I mean. It they're, also... they're, I just, just feels like this movie's not thinking on that level. No. It's not remembering that this is in the past. It's not remembering that this character will take the. Clearly, this character doesn't take this information mm. 
you know, through the rest of his life because he makes the same mistakes. And it's it's particularly evident in this movie because when they flash forward, this is the first time we've seen anything post Raiders of Indiana Jones. Yeah, right. So this is the first sequel mm-hmm. proper, and that so. And I think they generally make the right moves. They don't address anything, you know, any hanging storylines from previous movies. Mm-hmm. They just kind of steer clear of all of that, which I'm fine with. But but this the boat scene is it just feels like a maritime version of the of the Lao Che scene. Yeah. Right. Right. It's the same thing in in a, you know it's it's old wine in in new bottles. <laughs> we're just you know we're just at sea instead of at a nightclub. So yeah, but it also it's less, it's less visually interesting as well because it's so dark and yeah, rainy it, and... it's dark, it's rainy. We're also we're circling back as we've talked about many times. We're circling back to the original because he's not going to go on from that boat to whatever adventure he's doing. He's going to go home. He's in class. He's teaching. We're going to get mm. Brody. You know, that's following the blueprint of Raiders. And Spielberg was explicit about that. Like, he never made any bones about it. Mm-hmm. Um, or any Jones about it. <laughs> he um, he said, you know, he wanted to... He wanted people to relive Raiders yeah. through this movie. So, you know, again, can't go to Hamlet and say, where are the elephants? But <laughs> you can you can dispute the choice that was made in the first place. But the execution sure. of the choice is, is kind of in alignment with with what he set out to do. Sure. But it, inevitably when you do that, it's going to be diminishing returns. Yeah, right. And that's maybe where Spielberg's sequel brain doesn't really uh, work like the rest of his cinematic brain. Right. Sometimes. Yeah, right. Well, and, and the, sh- the shipwreck is like another example of set piece fatigue, right? We've, mm-hmm. we've already had about three or four different set pieces, so we're already kind of tired of the relentless pace. I mean, it's now par for the course in a blockbuster. I think Temple of Doom had a lot to do with it. With yeah, that. I mean, because like... we talked about, but we also talked about how it works for that movie, you know, because we're introducing new stuff to the audience so quickly, mm. but we're, you know, the movie doesn't have time to explain it to you. And that works for what's happening in the scenes. Yeah. It's a slippery slope because yeah, right. then, you know, if that's successful then commercial You feel like it oh, it can always work. That it's that you've got to pack a film with set pieces as much as possible and yeah. no one has stemmed that tide yet mm-hmm. in blockbuster movies and, and now it's out of control. And this will you know like three to four hour movies, blockbuster movies out there in the this, world now. With this boat scene, it's the first time in an Indiana Jones movie where I'm seeing a set piece that looks really big, but I don't necessarily buy where they are and what they're doing. It feels like a set. Sure. Yeah. And I guess it it was disconcerting to me the first time I saw this movie and saw the the boat scene. Not that it, you know, it's not that it looks bad because you have the water crashing over the you know mm-hmm. the boat and everything it but it looks like it's yeah been fabricated it 
fabricated exactly it doesn't feel organic like yeah the bridge scene or even the night right. scene which is organic is not a word that is normally used to describe that but it feels organic <laughs> to the world that they to create the world that they've created yeah in that scene and and this just feels like a stopgap yeah between you know a way to take us into the present uh without really kind of uh, focusing on that and trying to make it good mm-hmm. and you know the this the the hat imagery is kind of taken over now and this is the first oh, for sure. Indiana Jones movie where the hat is part of the tagline. So there's a publicity advantage to, you know, emphasizing the hat. And in the end of the scene is told, the story is told through hats. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which I feel like is, you know, uh, you, you got to be Miller's Crossing to, to do that. To do that. Here, and, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this just feels like something they could rip from the movie for pre-publicity. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we got through our first scene. Why don't we take a break and we'll come back and re-meet Brody and uh, yeah. find out who Let's Walter Donovan to... is. Let's Rodney Dangerfield it up and go back to school. Exactly right. All right, everyone. We'll I'm be back. All right. right. Wrong movie. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> you gotta. You gotta arm fart and check the wind. Oh. Wow. <laughs> I did not know you knew that movie so intimately. That is of course. What a, yeah. I the last time it was it was continually on TV when I was a kid, but I, it's a movie that uh it feels like it's been wiped by my memory like the the using the men in black lady shade yeah. to it. <laughs> That's great. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we'll be back. We'll talk more crusade right after this. Does the coronavirus have you feeling oogie? Have you been sitting on your couch for weeks? Nay, have you been sitting on there for months? Well, it's time for you to get back in shape. Check out 2 a T Fitness. You can find them on Instagram. You can find them on Facebook. 2 a T Fitness was started by Tina Bernard. She is ready and raring to go to help you get back into the shape you want to get into. They've got all kinds of classes. They've got outdoor in-person classes. They've got online classes if that's what you prefer. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get back in shape. You're going to find a variety of exercises. You're going to have strength training, cardio, weightlifting, even fun five-minute burnouts that will push you to your limits. So get off the couch, get into shape. Go ahead and check out Tua T Fitness. Tina Bernard has got you for all your needs. I know her personally. She's fantastic. You're not going to meet a better person to help you become the new you. Check it out. And we're back, ladies and gentlemen. Tom and I are here discussing Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. I say the last of the good movies in the Indiana Jones series. Yeah, I guess you well, do too. I, you know, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> That's ancient history, or dare I say, archaeology. There yeah. you go. And we're getting a little lesson about archaeology, and uh, <laughs> he he is saying everything that uh, grains against what we've seen him do. 
and, and we'll see him do. And we'll see him do, yeah. But it's also, you know, I, I keep bringing this up every time there's a classroom scene in any movie, but even when the movie is about the teacher of the class, he's still talking about whatever the theme of the movie is. <laughs> yeah. Like, there's just, there's no way to have a, a you know, like a, a, a classroom subject that is not in some way linked to linked the Linked to the movie. what we're going to watch. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and we're, you know... We're we're back at college, at Marshall College. The film structure has modeled itself on Raiders. On Raiders, you can get the same camera movement that introduces the college. I right. think, yeah, or a very similar one. And again, I don't know. Even kind of Brody con- entering the room feels. Yeah. You know like exactly shot for shot the same. Recreation. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it's clearly conscious, but again, I don't know whether it's driven by just the type of sequel it is or yeah the. Or, you know, fan service, essentially. What mm-hmm. we would now call fan service about Raiders. It feels more like that to me, but... Yeah. Like you said, who knows? Who knows what mm. what, what, what was in their minds? All we but know they, is they... that we're learning that archaeology is the search for facts and that X does not mark the spot. Right. And we're also learning that, um, that uh, the filmmakers' sexual politics have changed somewhat. As the character is aged. Right. Because there's less swooning from the students. Right, yeah. Far far fewer sexual um, advances. advances. <laughs> so there's, there's been, you know, there's clearly been some kind of cultural change, even since the early 1980s, that prevents them from. Yeah, there's going not back even, there's world. not even one boy willing to give them an apple. <laughs> Although, you know, Harrison Ford kind of does his best kind of flirt look. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a little bit of it when he gets into his office hours, but right. I always feel like that's more just like autograph hunters, kind of like. It feels know, like, like that Harrison and... Ford fandom <laughs> rather than right, right. Indiana. You know, uh, uh, we want to have sex with our teacher, as it clearly was in the original. Yeah, I think it's also funny because we talked a lot in Temple of Doom about where the character sits within his own mm. morality. Yeah. And I do think it's funny that with all the students following him and he tells, you know, start making a list and I will see you in order. Then he just skips yeah. out like a yeah. real dick. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And also, his office is like his own little version of the Raiders warehouse. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Which which blissfully we don't know is Area 51 yet. Right. Um, <laughs> but also we can track the progression of these movies in terms of how interested indie students are in him. Yeah, right, sure. Because <laughs> we run the gamut of that by the by Tile of Destiny. Definitely. And at this point, they still, they're still taking an interest in him, but only a handful of them sexually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Most of them want him for his brain at this point, not yeah. his body. Uh, still pretty damn good body, I gotta say, you know. I mean, it's only still bo- five still years body later. Still Jake. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, 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 as I said, this is my favorite Har- period of Harrison Ford. Mm-hmm. Is this era? Is right this starting is right in the yeah yeah? This is right in the solar plexus of that. I agree. Marcus is still the Marcus we knew at this point, which always freaks me out. So thinking about I, what he will become by yeah, the end of the movie. Yeah, exactly. And this was it always... feels like if they're gonna do this U-turn of character, it should have started here. That's what I. I it's funny because I I hadn't watched this movie in a while. And as I was watching it, I specifically wanted to look out for 
the new Marcus in this scene. And as I'm watching it, I start writing notes that say, well, this is the old Marcus that I knew before. Yeah. So he's even the old Marcus at one point in this film, and then they retcon him. And it's 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 a good joke. I'll give him the joke about two-day head start and blah 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 yeah we'll get we'll get there that's a funny cut it's a funny cut i don't know if it's worth i don't know if it's worth burning an entire character an entire character exactly and i it always stuck in my craw how much they seem to retcon poor marcus brody i didn't like it but it was from both ends right there's spielberg spiel when denim elliott was interviewed about this he said, I'm really glad, you know, I was Indy's father figure in Raiders. Mm-hmm. In this movie, they gave him a father. So Spielberg said to me, we've got to change your character, uh, do something else with you, because Indy has his own Marcus and it's his dad. Yeah. So we need we need to do. And, and he said, you know, I was really relieved when they said they wanted to lean into the buffoonery. OK. And it, as has been pointed out several times, not least on Indiana Jones Minute, Marcus's arc in this movie is exactly the same as his arc in Trading Places. So this is something clearly <laughs> Denim Elliott likes to do. Sure, yeah. Acting wise, and eggnog make, that makes me want. Yeah, that makes me want to <laughs> give it a break. But at the same time, you know, that I'm so we're all I think culturally so attached to the Raiders Marcus that yeah, it's hard to take. Absolutely, because he gives that move the scenes in that movie such gravitas. Gravitas, such, yeah, exactly. You know, such legitimacy. It's got the best monologue, I think, in the entire series. Yeah, right. And I think that that's what causes the problem. The decision, I, it makes sense dramatically if you've already, if you've got a Marcus figure in the movie. Yeah. You don't want to dilute your, you know, you don't want to dilute him. That relationship, right. Yeah. So it's, and we'll talk more as we, as we go on. Because at this point, he's not showing any, any of the red flags at no, all. No, right. And it's interesting because look, like when I look at it now, I'm like, and this is not what they're going for at all. It's just a byproduct, but it's like it's actually quite a plausible representation of uh, dementia <laughs> because yes, he has totally. good days. He has right. good days and bad, bad days, right? right. Totally. Sometimes he's really lucid, and then other days he's just got his rocker. So I can't. I know that's not what they're going for, but when you watch it over the entire movie, and he's a different character in each scene, you're going, "This, this is tracking this the path of dementia quite." Quite psychologically yeah, at, accurately. At, at one moment, he can be telling you why you shouldn't be going after the thing it is because of, yeah. you know, the religious implications and blah, 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 blah. And other moments, he can be the the trading places, Denholm Elliott, where yeah. he says, oh, it beats them to it. Eggnog. I also kind of invented a subplot where, you know, off once, once they arrived in Venice and they realized he was losing his marbles... Indy invented a mission for him to go on. Yeah. There isn't a real mission. Yeah, it's just fake. He just he was just like it was a really big mistake to bring him to Venice. We've got to do we we got to get him out of there somehow. And he invited himself as well. He wasn't really invited. I guess you could you could make the yeah, that's true. You could make the argument that uh maybe it was that bonk in the head in the library. Maybe that just Yeah. You know, sent him for a loop. Yeah, he's it's it's he's like, it's like uh, post carbonite. He was never the same. Yeah. Well, meanwhile, uh, Donovan and it's like like after like Han Solo after carbonite, he's also crossing his eyes as well <laughs> right. when he acts. <laughs> well, meanwhile, Donovan's men are gonna kidnap Indiana Jones. He should have figured yeah, it and... out then. 
probably. <laughs> but I agree with what you're saying about him ditching work. And Raiders very much feels like Indy was trying to do his job, but went off on a patriotic field trip. Yeah. This is just dereliction of duty. <laughs> totally. He's just not doing his job. He's not leaving that office to go off and do something important. No. Culturally. He just gets gets uh, ambushed. <laughs> and yeah, this is the scene where he... Well, this is the other thing is that, you know, it's another case of Indy is so like the villain. How would he know he was a villain? Yeah, right. Because they, it's like we both share a passion for antiquities, and you're like, oh yeah, another another villain who's got the moral drop on Indy again. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, and this is where Bond gets his quest. Wow. Sorry, Indy gets his quest. <laughs> Literally, didn't mean to say that. Wow. This is where I could tell you where... didn't mean to do that. <laughs> it was just natural. <laughs> I'm exposed as a James Bond fan for the first time ever. <laughs> And it's the Holy Grail, mm -hmm. which uh, Spielberg expresses through classic his classic '80s understatement of seeing uh, uh, Donovan pour a glass of champagne. There you go. So, <laughs> oh no, but this movie does have two MacGuffins. I'm wrong. This movie, because the, the cross is he got he gets his MacGuffin in the in the opening scene. Yeah, that's true. The cross. Yeah, yeah, he does. But we we know of the Grail Diary before or simultaneously. It's like a changing of the guard. Changing of the MacGuffin. <laughs> <laughs> but it's also interesting that, that after he's pursued... Well, he's, right now he's, he's going to learn that the MacGuffin is the Holy Grail, the cup of Christ. Yeah, Later it will become he, the diary. But that's his father's MacGuffin. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, he's, he's, he's achieved his lifelong dream of getting the Cross of Coronado back. Yeah, now he's right. pursuing his father's dream, which is just like boomers and Gen X, kind right. of in a nutshell, right? It's like boom, boomers don't want us to have our own dream; they just want us to have our. They just want us to live continue their dream, their parents' dream. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What do you think of uh, Julian Glover's uh, Donovan? So here's the thing. He's a wonderful actor. Yeah, he's he great is. in this role. Yeah, I don't. I don't relish him as a villain like I do the other villains in this series. I don't mm. I don't think he's he doesn't compare to a a a, a Bullock. Or I and I still really like Mola Ram, I do. Well, those Belloc, are the two sorry. I Belloc. I, <laughs> no, I was going to just let you die on that hill. Um <laughs> I'm going to cut it all uh, out. <laughs> Uh, no, they call him Balosh. Yeah. Um, so I think I think you've said something really interesting there, which is that those are the two opposite poles of Indiana Jones' villainy, and Donovan is sort of right in between. Right in between, sure. He's almost, I think, and the partly this is down to Julian Glover as well. He's almost so believable that he's not actually that menacing. Yeah, you right. Know, he play he plays this idea of the American industrialist caught up in. Nazi shenanigans so authentically that mm -hmm. you don't feel like he's a you don't feel any villainy you just feel like that's the character he's playing yeah totally and I like how all shucks he is in this scene because mm -hmm. that does sort of show you know he's manipulative and disingenuous um, well and I, there are yeah there I are I like the idea of the character as well I love the idea yeah that 
I think it's a really subversive move from Spielberg to have your villain be an American industrialist at the end of the 1980s. Totally, yeah. And I think that's been overlooked. Mm-hmm. Because that is not... That is kind of implicating America in the rise of Nazism, which <laughs> right. historically is the case. Yeah. You know? America, up until they joined the war, America didn't know which side it was going to join. Right. Was it going to fight communism or Nazism? And Donovan is representative of that ambivalence. Mm-hmm. So. And, you know, it's interesting, too, just from speaking from the the guise of the character, you know, he does something that's really interesting to me because he says our leader several times, and it's not till the very end that he tells Indiana Jones, by the way, the leader's your father and he's missing. It's like the show Pop Idol, right? Yeah, you're you're like, burying the lead, sir. It's crazy. I mean, you, there's no rationale for doing that. Yeah, right. For waiting that long to tell him that <laughs> that his dad is missing. That's how you know he's up to some shit. If That's you're for paying the attention. Well, yeah, but it's also for the audience's benefit. Oh, I totally. Think overall, yeah. the exposition in the scene is not as well disguised as it is in um, Raiders. Mm-hmm. In the kind of in the top men scene. Yeah. Which I know is a high bar because you sort of you learn so much in that scene, and when the scene's over, you don't feel like you've been lectured at. L- or... Yeah, talked to talk down to right. you just feel like I, I learned a lot but then you break it down into the elements you're like oh my god that is a lot of exposition in mm-hmm. one scene and this this just feels like a lot of exposition in yeah, one scene totally. and, you, and and by the end of it you're kind of uh, you're sort of overwhelmed with information mm-hmm. clearly they left that reveal to the end of the scene because they knew no one would pay attention to anything after that yeah exactly but there's no character reason for Donovan to be doing it mm-hmm. I mean he, you can imagine him deceiving Indy about his father being involved, but not in a scene where he's telling him that his father's involved. Yes. <laughs> and then, because once Indiana Jones finds that out, I kind of forgot about this scene in which he goes to Henry's home mm-hmm. with Brody to go, you know, kind of... Yeah try and check on him. I'd forgotten oh, about that. Brody scene. is also, not only is he Indy's lifelong friend, he's also Henry's lifelong <laughs> yes, friend. Yes, as we learned. In fact, the only reason that, that uh, Indy knows Marcus is through Henry. Yeah. As we came to find out in this movie. As we, as we came, as we came to, to find out. Um, and that's, you know, like I, I liked slipping the father into the backstory. I think that's fine. And obviously it's going to pay off when mm-hmm. we finally see him. But I don't like the retrofit of Marcus as sort of like, well, like a surrogate. Yeah. Henry. Yeah. That's what we're, but, but, he, but he's also original recipe Henry. So that's the problem. Because the there problem... was no, there was no, there was no Indy's dad. Yeah, exactly. Was made, so the real problem is surrogate. that, <laughs> you know, you could make the argument that you can bring dad into this. It's, I think it's better if he didn't know dad. If Brody didn't know Dad. Agreed. You know? 100% agreed. I also think if I didn't know what they would do with it in the actual film, if, if I was asked my honest opinion about whether Indiana Jones' father should be in the movie, I would have said, absolutely not. Stay yeah, away from right. this. It's never going to work. Yeah. So what do I know? <laughs> yeah, sure. But I, but I feel like the idea that he and Marcus are lifelong friends is a, is a bridge too far. Yeah. 
Uh, and and in the scene that I feel like they're trying to force the magic of the the raiders home scene. Yeah, that's how I felt too. Um, when you start to force that comparison really hard, you're never gonna you're never gonna win. You're never gonna beat them. You can't like beat raiders. it because you were just talking about the speech that he gave. Yeah, and there's a sense there's a there's a kind of sense they want to recreate that, but they mm-hmm. there's there's nothing there's nothing more to add in what they're doing. They're just in a diff, just in a different house. Yeah, they're in a different house, and even in the scene itself, you know, it's just sort of Brody saying, "Wow, cup of Christ, wow," <laughs> you know, it's like they can't yeah. really get past that. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, they're they're like this scene writes itself. Well, actually, it doesn't. No, you need to write it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I love that Indy's father first appears in photographic form. That is a total imbass. <laughs> so solid, solid. I mean, and he's in the movie. That's so our it's, sequel, it's Bread a, and Butter, right there. It's it's a it's a double uh, impasse, and he will also appear in photographic form in the next. In movie. the next movie, right? And this the end of the scene is an inversion of Raiders because Marcus offers to go on the on the journey when not invited instead of rejecting the offer to go with Indy as he did in Raiders. Yeah. <laughs> so that goes against character as well. It does, unless, you know, Marcus was secretly hoping in Raiders that Indy would like force him to force go. Force him to go. He, yeah, and that he was just plain possible. Who me? Point. I and couldn't then, possibly Yeah, and then he and then Unless you really like, want me gonna, to. <laughs> yeah, I'm not gonna take that chance again. I'm going with you. Yeah. Make that too. Well, and for this series, we'll get another imbass with the uh, plane ride on the map with the laser. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Laser line map. So far, only the old, kind of the only narrative stylistic commonality, apart from I guess the the Raiders theme in all three movies. Mm-hmm. Between all three movies, I mean, obviously this and Raiders are very compatible. Sure but you've got temple in the middle and it's this this is the only thing that kind of bridges the, the gap between through them. line for all of them literally the through line yeah oh yeah i forgot to mention that but that indy when he gets into his office he's got the mail from his dad which he he says out loud venice italy yeah right and we put it to and then in the following scene we put it together before he does so before he again, does yeah that's true he's, he's behind, behind the us audience. yeah yeah, and he's and he turns out to be behind the eight ball because he doesn't understand what Donovan is doing. So classic Indiana Jones. <laughs> Indiana's best like, when he's at his. Indy's just... at his best for us when he's at his worst. Sometimes, yeah, yeah. And it's like they want people in the audience to scream out, "It's in your pocket!" <laughs> this is where Donovan is getting extremely manipulative, saying, "Don't trust anyone." <laughs> and once again, like. <laughs> Villains are hiding in plain sight, and Indy is remarkably easy to deceive. <laughs> Just put them in the form of one of the most beautiful women on the planet. It would it would have been nice if he got on the plane and got that was a strange thing to say. If you're not <laughs> if you're not a villain, uh, <laughs> right? Because he think he of... says don't trust anyone. They get on a plane, and then there there's. There's uh, the doctor saying, hello, it's very good to meet you. (laughs) (laughs) What do you think of Our Venice? I don't think I liked it even the first time I saw it. 
So here's what I like about it and what I don't like. I like that whenever Harrison Ford says it, he looks like he's really enjoying himself. And he's, he's right. there's a private joke in his head that we don't have access to. <laughs> okay. Because fine. he lights up every time he says it. But I don't understand the root of... If it is a joke, if, if it's a reference, what what's the reference? That's the thing for me is... is Was this like an ad this, campaign it, or something? Is this a well-known phrase? I don't think it is. Yeah, and no. yet Harrison Ford every time says it as if everyone is going to know right. in the audience and on screen what he's talking about. And that kind of makes me both love and hate it because I like the idiosyncrasy of Harrison Ford enjoying saying it, but... Mm -hmm. I don't understand why he keeps saying it. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I guess the, the, the part that where it goes too far for me is when they, you know, just survive uh, rats and almost getting burned to death. It's mm. not the first thing on my mind when I crawl out of the sewer. Yeah. Ah, Venice. Because at that point, it's, at that point, it, it like it's one of those jokes in this movie that's too wink wink. What's, but it's like the the joke also has no root. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. So, you, you, it's not a good punchline, and the setup is meaningless, non-existent. <laughs> yeah. So I'm glad you feel that way because I I feel the same. Yeah. We, it's interesting the choice of Venice for a couple of reasons. Of course, you know James Bond movies have a history there, Moonraker mm -hmm. and. From Russia with Love, and then later, Rook well, later, Royale. yeah, always fucking Moonraker, and <laughs> <laughs> but it's also a, another contrast to Temple of Doom because that movie spent the entire its entire running time on one continent, mm -hmm. and in this movie, we've already gone we've already gone from America to Europe. Sure. So. It's more of a globe-trotting movie like Raiders was. Yeah, that's true. Where we went to a few different continents. We went east. Yeah, a few different continents, but it, but Temple of Doom is all, you know, Asia. Yeah. Which is fascinating, and also I think better. The right choice. <laughs> I can't quite explain why. It's more just more interesting. Like you know, uh, you got to respect that. Sticking to your guns a little bit, yeah, but right, anyway, right. they want to get back to the the globe trotting sense. So, so it's really well. It's just really like at this point, it's becoming a convention of the series, right? It's it's in the way that James Bond does. It's where can you put yeah. Indiana Jones? Where have we not seen him yet? And well, we didn't what would impress in the last movie? What would impress an audience? You know, by the time we get to Crusade, it's. Yeah. I think you're right in the sense of let's expand it more. Let's make sure we mm. can, you know, how will people be able to believe that we were able to film in Venice and get this much access to the canal and stuff like that? Well, they didn't. I mean, they, they got it for one morning. day. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I got to say, they make the most out of it. There's details I've never seen before this viewing because there's a there's a lone kid coming off the water taxi in the background when they arrive. And I've got to think that that's, that's kind of Spielberg speaking to the idea of, like, absent fatherhood. Mm. There's just this just this kid coming off the water taxi on his own. Who's that kid? Where are his parents? You know? <laughs> like the Indiana Jones we see at the beginning of the film is just this kind of feral child right. wandering the, the, the streets of Utah. <laughs> I didn't notice. 
if indeed Utah, I'd never noticed it until this watch, but then I learned that they had restricted access to this. So Spielberg is kind of pulling all this imagery very quickly, mm -hmm. uh, which is very impressive. He's working well under pressure, uh, which I guess Jaws proves. <laughs> you don't need this movie to prove that you've got Jaws, but um... and we're introduced to our new indie girl, Elsa. Elsa, one per film so far. Yeah. <laughs> Which is like Bond Girl, but also well, and she will, she was also a Bond Girl in the past. She was right. <laughs> um, so that's that's a that's two Bond two Bond pulls for the price of one. There you go. And it's interesting because again, this is where you realize, oh, this is the first time we're post Raiders. So mm -hmm. Temple of Doom, the prequel aspect, took care of where's Marion. Yeah. Right. Now. He's just. We're just gonna move on and ignore it. Right now, 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 now we're allowed to ask the question, here. and the movie will say, "Go fuck yourself." <laughs> yeah, right. We're just moving on. We're doing again. We're doing the Bond formula. We're gonna, Where, gonna where's Marion? May I introduce you to Elsa? <laughs> it's not what I asked. <laughs> well, I I don't know. General thoughts about. Uh, Ilsa, I mean, we, or we could just talk as we go. I don't know. We could talk as we go, I think. But, but okay. my general impression is I think she's pretty winning in the role. I like her. I like yeah. the, uh, you know, it's, it's, there's something that's done well here that's not done well in the next movie, which Agreed. is there's a person kind of working both sides. Yes. Yeah. And really for themselves. And mm -hmm. here it works. And in the next movie, it do doesn't at all, really. It's a really, it's the else is a really good combination of, you know, you, the, you've got Marion in the original movie. Willie is the inversion of Marion. Mm -hmm. And then Ilsa, I want, like, just like Donovan, she's the sort of lukewarm water. Yeah. The Derek she lies between. Of the two. She yeah. lies between them. But she's also her own, her own thing. Mm -hmm. You know, she's, um, because she has her own arc in the movie. And she's she a, does. And an, they, you know, well, an intellectual seduced by Nazism. Yeah. Who, uh, uses her intellect to, to destroy. But I also think it's, overlord. it's all, it's yeah, I think it's all for her own purposes. And they do things in this movie that, uh, I think work for the character in the sense when we get to Germany and she's walking down that hallway, she has the diary and you can, mm. she's almost crying at the visual of yeah. seeing bu books being burned, you That's know? That's where she was getting interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so they, they, you know, they, they're smart enough at this point in the series to uh, keep that character interesting. I, I agree. And I think, you know, the, the the filmmakers are so conscious of matching the period in history they're representing to the period in cinema mm -hmm. that it's linked to. And they talk about this, and obviously in the next movie, making it um, a, a kind of alien movie is clearly influenced right. by it being set in the 1950s. 50s. But I wonder here whether the, the, choices, the choices with... Uh, the narrative choices and character choices with Ilsa is motivated by the beginning of film noir in this period and the, the sure. emergence of the femme fatale. Yeah. Because she her arc totally follows that fits logic, that. right? Yeah, fits she that makes a mistake. To a she makes a mistake and in the end she has to die because, you know, the Hayes Code. <laughs> um, except it's nineteen eighty nine. No one gives a fuck about the Hayes Code anymore. Right. So no. In the end it was the right decision. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> Either I'm missing something, or this Roman numeral code is so simple, even Dan so Brown easy. could have written it. So easy. It is just 7 plus 3 equals 10, right? The, I'm not missing something here. The idea that Elsa at one point says, I can't believe I missed that. I agree with you. I can't believe you missed that. <laughs> I also can't believe how much of a dick Indiana Jones is about it. <laughs> Can't you see? Can't you see? Seven, Look, three. seven, and that's the three. triple point, right? Go for the ten. Where's the ten? And then, of course, yeah. it's the callback. Yeah, and then it actually doesn't make sense because nothing in that code indicates seven plus three equals ten. It could just as equally be four. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's essentially reading numbers off a page and acting like it's some big intellectual leap. Yes. Well, can I ask you, what do you think of this stamp joke? It It's like the most basic comedy. And yeah. the thing that irritates me about it is it's introduced apropos of nothing. This guy is not a character in the movie. Right. And, you know, again, I feel I feel weird about saying that because I feel like I would be praising exactly the same thing in a James Bond movie, but... Indiana Jones movies and Bond movies are different. Mm-hmm. There are key differences between us, and this is one of them. Like, I don't, I don't think the Indiana Jones formula can sustain, you know, the the wino on the bridge kind of character, which is what yeah, right. That's how it is. kind of feels. It's yeah. I, I've always felt one of two ways. I I kind of have a split personality about it because I think the performer is really funny. Yeah, but I don't think the joke is very funny. And he looks like Albert Einstein, which can't be right. an accident. Yeah. But I think, you know, the, 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 the character should... When this movie works, the character creates the comedy. And because I don't right. know anything about who this guy is, it doesn't. it's not very funny. It doesn't stick with you. It's just the gag. Yeah, that's all it is. Yeah, right. Yeah. And there's no, there's no sense of why he would be the kind of person who would accidentally mistake... A very loud, a noise very loud noise stamp. somewhere else for the stamp. Right, exactly. I mean, even you know, in Laurel and Hardy movies, you have like, to suspend your is... disbelief quite a bit for that one. Even in Laurel and Hardy movies, it's character comedy. That's what people forget. It's not just random slapstick. It's funny because you know Stan is the kind of person who would make this mistake, mm-hmm. and you know that Ollie would react in this way, and that's why he's making this mistake. Right. It's just like, and that's the thing about slapstick that people don't understand. It's not just pies in faces or people slipping on banana skins. It's got to be the good slapstick has got to be motivated by something. Mo- yeah, this right. Just feels like, I mean, they literally they could have filmed it twenty years later and put it in the movie. Sure. <laughs> it wouldn't have affected. It, you know, it wouldn't. It, it it should feel like it was made at the time and part of the movie organically and it just just doesn't yeah so not a fan all right we're on the same page people really like it i know they love it people people really enjoy it they think it's the funniest thing ever i tell you what i do like is the callback to that other tom stoppard line um where he's indy says you know you're so like your father and ilsa says you're so like your father said except he's lost and i'm not yeah which is the same as saying everybody's lost but me yeah so he's learned nothing (laughs) <laughs> no lessons. He's he's just a static line of develop, character <laughs> development. But it's also that you know, like you can see where 
other writers have, have done a pass on the movie because he's like, wow, that dialogue's really good. And now it's terrible. And now it's good again. What's yeah, going right. on? Totally. <laughs> it feels uneven in that way, right? Yeah. I like how Ilsa's matching indie bogus fact for bogus fact. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, there's a lot of, I mean, especially this movie, there's a lot of sort of egregiously untrue things mm-hmm. said about history and literature and everything so sure they're talking nonsense but they're matching each other which is <laughs> okay. the important bit of Fine. it so it, this is the first time the indie girl has been his intellectual equal because yeah Marianne wasn't really pitched that way she was his equal as an action hero yeah but not uh not as an academic she was just as tough as he was and willie with the greatest of respect was not either with the greatest of respect now I'm even more offended well, I don't, I don't when you be say a, I'm that not to a, me. I'm not a willy basher, but, you know, the idea of the dumb blonde is central to the character. Yeah. It's how it's written. It's how it's... Yeah, exactly. Um, but I'm not saying that that's Kate Capshaw's fault or that Willie isn't a good character. Now, is it just me or is this tomb rather easy to find? Well... <laughs> not unlike the the puzzle of the new add, roman if numerals you can add three to seven you can find it so. yeah <laughs> and when you get down well first of all we've got to talk about I, what i think is fan service done well okay the ark of the covenant yeah i'll agree with it's that it's the be- it's the beginning of a bad tendency in the series towards exactly yeah but if you're going to do it, this is the way to do it. Just like, it, I mean, ideally... Literally walking walk. past it, and I like the, you're sure? I'm pretty sure. Yeah. And although I love the conversation he has with Mutt about his Pancho Villa adventures in the next movie, mm-hmm. I, I do think that there's a stark contrast there, right? That yes. There's sort of like, let me tell you about my adventures with Pancho Villa. And you <laughs> could imagine a scene in which he's like, let me tell you, I know about this arc, right? Back in 1936 yeah. and blah, blah, blah. But he just goes, pretty sure. And yeah. then they move on. Done. It's great. The Bone Torch is our kind of... Uh, oh, The Bone Torch and the Wall Breaking is our periodic reminder that Indy is just a basic grave robber. <laughs> <laughs> because this is Desecration 101. <laughs> it's like, someone's body... Yeah, okay, he's not. As he's not as altruistic as he may think he is. <laughs> maybe he is Red. Hulk. Maybe this was his first Red Hulk moment. There you go. Even though Harrison Ford doesn't know what a Red Hulk is, that no, doesn't mean he, he, he not, didn't yeah. recently play Red Hulk in a movie and not know about it. <laughs> hey, kid, let's just film this piece of shit. <laughs> uh, and then rats. Oh, rats. So more animal inversion, more up in the ante. I think there were more rats than any other any of the creepy crawlies or snakes that we saw in the previous movie. Yeah, it was really interesting to learn too, because if you watch, you know, watching the the making of stuff, they yeah. talk about if you if you want to have rats and you want to be sure that you can be safe, you just have to breed them all. So they bred like yeah. two thousand rats on their own. You know. Yeah. That's a lot. And also, we we, uh, we do some off-screen characterization of Henry Jones by mm-hmm. talking about how he has how he hates him yeah yeah so both but i also respect both, that both about the jones, both the jones boys have, they all, have they have their own phobia crippling animal phobias yes <laughs> i like later when he says there were rats dad uh, rats rats <laughs> 
Uh, um, but I, you know, it's one of the things that I like about 1980s movies too, because now rats would all be digital. And yeah, well, we don't have to. You, you don't have to. to look you don't have too to go far, far. Into, the, into the future of the series to see where where animals of that nature yeah. might be represented digitally rather than practically. And you can see the difference between the two. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, again, Spielberg's not afraid as an 80s filmmaker to just throw an animal at someone's head, you know. No, yeah, right. Right in Alice and Doody's hair. Yeah. Just as, you know, the <laughs> bugs were really climbing up Cape Capshaw's mm-hmm. sleeves. Not to mention the snake around Karen Allen's neck. Yeah, right. Yeah. And then they come out of the, the sewer into a... Straight into a speedboat chase, yeah. which is pure main, pure Moonraker. Um, <laughs> I tell you something, as a lover of Ford's movies in this period, I'm really happy to see the reappearance of his frantic jet lag hair. Yeah, right. The way he we- the way he wears his hair at the beginning of Frantic. Yes. When he's coming into Paris and he's all jet lagged, and he that happens with the water here. It's kind of like what he does when he. Uh gets into the hospital clothes and the fugitive doesn't yeah, he kind of you know yeah um but i so also I you know there are things i like within this boat chase i i love the uh not hearing each other correctly moment mm-hmm. don't go through them <laughs> go through them are you crazy i like that sure okay i'll i'll give that a pass not my favorite but i'm, I'm okay with it it's i like because of how seriously the characters take it's one yeah, of the jokes yeah. where they're not winking so that i appreciate Correct. you know yeah you're right you're right you convinced me um i don't believe that these backdrops are from the 1930s though <laughs> it looks very much like 1980s industrial landscape in the background of these shots and i think it's london docklands i believe that they're filming in at so which would make total sense it okay. totally looks like L- london in the 80s I mean, I know that like the they... Lon- the London of the Long Good Friday, basically. Yeah. I know that they... I think they were there for the that close-up of the propeller. Mm. And when it's yes. chopping up the boat. Uh, and, yeah, th- this is where we meet the Chasm and the Brotherhood. Yeah. Uh, w- once again, <laughs> once again, the, these supposed villains have more moral authority than, than, the than our heroes. My soul is prepared. How's yours? How's yours? It's like... Oh, it's like Indiana's like, yeah, you got me. You know, and that's one of the first moments, maybe not one of the first moments, but it's one moment that I can remember being in a movie, uh, watching it as a teenager and seeing that actor in that moment and realizing that's a good fucking actor. He's fucking, that guy's good. Kazim is great. Uh, he, he nails both his scenes in this totally. movie. And I, it's a bit of a Chad Alal situation where it's like, I really, I want more. I want him to be yeah, a more significant totally. part of the movie because he's such a good uh, character actor. And I love the touch, you know, like we, we fall victim to our own prejudices and we assume that they're like stock Arabic bad guys. Yeah, right. And it turns out that they're, they're actually the Well, like you said, guys. they're, 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 they're yes, better they're, guys. they're better than everybody else in the movie. Everybody yeah. else in the movie. Yeah. And I think, I, I don't know, that a slight apology for the racism in Temple of Doom, maybe? Just to sort of like, you know. Perhaps, throw, perhaps. To sort of twi- twi- turn the racism on its head a little bit. Yeah. So I, I, uh, I like that. And Kazim is the closest I think we get to Wuhan. In, uh, yeah. 
you know, in ter- like the, the, yeah. he has a limited screen time. He's a supporting character, but it, the writing and the acting makes it land instantly. Perfectly, right. Yeah. Uh, and again, Marcus is still... In, Marcus. When you get back to the, the room, he's Marcus is still Marcus. Yeah. He's still intelligent and resourceful. He's the one who figures out the he's seen something Alexandretta. It's a little bit, you know, dementia memory, but okay, whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, and it's like, it tantalizes you with the idea that this could be the last we saw of Marcus in the movie as well. Because yeah, at the right. end of the scene, they send him off. Mm-hmm. And you think, God, if he had ended on this high, we wouldn't have even noticed. Wouldn't have, but yeah, this exactly. Weird wonky moment when he got into Venice. He'd be like, well, it was probably just you know travel sickness, jet lagged. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like that. So if I feel like if Marcus's movie had ended here, it would have it would have re- uh, rescued Marcus. <laughs> Maybe. Well, uh, they're about to figure some shit out and go off to uh, the the what is it, Brunewald Castle. Brunewald. Why don't we take a break? The haunted and, house of this yeah. movie. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We'll take the a George break. George Lucas haunted house. Exactly. Absolutely. I was just going to say Lucas finally gets his haunted house that isn't haunted. <laughs> it's just okay, filled with Steve Nazis. Spielberg's like, okay, we'll give you a castle this time, okay? Yeah. Okay, but the next one's got to be all haunted house. I want okay. aliens next. Yeah, it's not going to be a neck over my dead body. It's going to be a next one. I'll be back. I'll be back. We'll be back right after this. <laughs> Cut this loser loose. (laughs) I like to think I know something about beer. But nowadays, even I get overwhelmed when confronted by the exhaustive selection of craft beers they have at bars, breweries, and even grocery stores. Back in the day, you had one, maybe two craft beers to choose from, and if you were confused, you ordered a Guinness. But in beer stations like San Diego, the craft beer options lately are in double, sometimes even triple, digits. So what's a beer drinker to do? You need what I need. The Vegas Beer Guys. Your beer of choice should be a perfect blend of malt and hops. And so a live show about beer needs that same balance. And the Vegas Beer Guys matches beer expert Dan Aker with self-proclaimed beer novice Stephen J. Weiss. The results are eminently drinkable. They're on Facebook. They're on Instagram. They'll try new beers. They'll tell you about beers. Think of them as your beer sherpas guiding you up a foamy-headed mountain to reach the peak of your pint. God, I need a beer. Here we are in what will not be the last segment. <laughs> Of Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. <laughs> That's right. How ironic. Yeah. Well, off we go. We are. Uh, I think we get another Back laser, right? We do. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, Indy and Elsa have a. Well, this. Oh, is, they this do is a little a kissing. Point. Well, they do. A, they do a lot of su- of ear sucking and. Yeah. Stuff that is rather unpleasant to watch. 
but it's also this is where he decides he's going to trust Ilsa, mm-hmm. apropos of nothing. Right. But it um, does also feel kind of like a callback to conversations he had with Willie. Mm, yeah. You know, this yeah. is his kind of foreplay. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I agree with that. Um, it's 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 trying to it's slapping on a veneer of 1930s screwball romance, mm-hmm. but behind that is a kind of 1980s lack of consent and toxic male behavior as well. Yeah. So um, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> also, and not again, be like, denied. And Indy make you know Indy makes another big mistake here. He should have followed his paranoid instincts, mm-hmm. and it's frustrating because he was withholding that information from her. And if he'd have carried on in that fashion, he'd have been all right. It'd have all been different. Yeah, yeah. A little more of that Fred C. Dubs would have helped him. <laughs> well, what do you think of him as a Scottish uh, uh, tapestry viewer? Well, well, that goes back to Bogart as well because it's. It's it's two homages for the price for one because uh, the commons. So he does the same thing in Blade Runner when he comes in pretending to be the entertainment officer. Yeah. In the club, and both of these come from The Big Sleep, where Humphrey Bogart pretends to be a kind of bookish first edition collector to right. um, uh, bamboozle the um, the bookseller. Um, and. Uh, so it's kind of you know it's just like it's something that Tyrison Ford likes he likes to do this Humphrey Bogart tribute in his uh, in his movies and and he's po you know he's obviously poking fun at Connery at the same time. Mm-hmm. I so, don't mind telling you though, it still gets me every time he tells the butler to buttle off. <laughs> I love that buttle off. Yeah, and of course we're in a you know this Germanic castle with lightning. Mm-hmm. We're going for the kind of gothic horror atmosphere, which is now Absolutely. weird given that Disney owns this property now. It feels very Disney, this castle. <laughs> and this guy, the butler, is uh, plays a character in The Spy You Love Me as well, so there's another Bond connection. Ooh, I didn't know that. And yeah, they, I think you know, he's they, very you know, funny, though. I do, yeah, yeah, he's if great. If you're a Scottish yeah. lord, lord, is that what he says? I am Mickey I am Mouse! Mickey Mouse! Which love clearly him. he's not saying. It's clearly ADR'd in, yeah. um, so they must have, like I said, let him say something else and we'll see if we can get the rights to Mickey Mouse. <laughs> Not a problem now. Nope. <laughs> Though clearly they were pulling something different. I think it was Charlie Chaplin or something like that. No, I don't know. It is a different line. I don't you remember. See his, his, yeah. his lips don't fit what he's saying. And then this is where it's revealed that the movie's got Nazis in. So I was going to ask you, because I can still kind of remember, like, it always got a laugh in the theater. Nazis. I hate these guys. Mm. But I can remember (laughs) my first viewing of this movie and him looking over and seeing Nazis and myself thinking, again, Nazis? Again with the Nazis? Yeah. Yeah. Well, they also, like, he talks about them like they're bed books. (laughs) Yes. Nazis fucking everywhere. <laughs> but it's you know it's a it's a it's a re- essentially we're revealing that the villains of Raiders are also the villains here. Yes. Which is sort of like it's like a Doctor Who episode where you realize the Daleks are behind it all. Which chronologically <laughs> that means they're the villains twice in a row. Time wise yes. for for Indy himself, yeah. 
which is why he hates Nazis so much because he's just dealt with he thought he was done with them yeah <laughs> which I guess is like a it's a serial you know it's a serial convention too isn't it it feels very matinee serial yeah go back to the to the stock villains mm-hmm. and they're the most obvious stock villains that there are I also think it's interesting to see Indiana for the first time in his getup, but with a tie. Yeah, it's a great look. <laughs> a I mean, Harrison look. Ford can pull off so many looks, but I like this. This uh, I don't know, like business casual. <laughs> totally. Jones? <laughs> That's how it was advertised for the action figure: business casual Indiana Jones. There you go. Is there just like fill? filling in payrolls <laughs> we're walking down the hall he notices the uh the door that's wired and he's gonna mm-hmm. pull out the whip and be jumping around but from the moment he f- f- fucking goes through that window this movie kicks into gear and it's yeah. with two words well three really junior and yes sir yeah right. how much do Instant- they say about these two characters yeah. with junior and and him coming up after being concussed and yep. saying, yes, sir. Instant chemistry, the right amount of overlapping timing. So tone, good. The relationship dynamic, as you say, is clear from the second that it first arrives in the movie. Mm-hmm. Also, this is only the second use of the whip in the movie. First present day use of it. Yeah. So, again, sparing use of the whip. Always. Yeah, and I think I think this movie applies. I think the rule of three applies to this movie as well. I think it's only used one more time in the movie. Mm. I, I, I don't know if we said, but it was <laughs> the last use of it in, in Temple of Doom was to lasso Willy, yes. which is perhaps not the best uh, the best trilogy <laughs> of whips there. Yeah, Get and, over and here, I'll, bitch. Let's you know we've we've already gushed over Connor in the ranking episode, but I'm always amazed. It reminds me. What a great character actor Sean Connery is, because right. he 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 disappears into the character perfectly, and yet and completely cla- cast completely against type for what we know of yeah. his film stardom. Um, his physicalization of the character is outstanding, amazing, even for a great actor, because the way he sits with that briefcase with the umbrella <laughs> slid in, absolutely into it, with it slid in, yeah. I said this in the ranking episode. He looks like an old man on a bus. Yes. You know, he just, or a bus stop. He just, he puts the umbrella in and he sits there waiting for the bus to arrive. <laughs> like, again, like it's not, it's not what you expect from Connery. And it's also not really what you're expecting from Indy's dad as well. So it's, yeah. it's the perfect combination. Mm-hmm. Um, so many really, so many happy surprises happening here. Yeah. But at the same time, I think, you realize that you need so you need a, this is why this 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 shouldn't work because you need someone who's a great character actor who's willing to play play against type and has the kind of gravitas and movie star weight yeah you're right that a lot of the dialogue in this movie needs so his reaction to indy telling him about finding the shield yeah Oh, love you need it. A, you need like a big Kirk Douglas performance in that moment. And, and well, and I specifically like, like a, the... A Walter Houston Gold Prospector dance, which is essentially what he yeah, does. Yeah, the, the, like, I like the moment when he finds out about... Uh, the, it's when he finds out about Alexandretta. Yeah, and that's, and that's flexing a totally different acting muscle. Totally. So... That's why, that's why it, it, it could really have only been Sean Connery. Right. Otherwise, it wouldn't have worked. 
exuberant old man. You know, but, but at the same time, but at the same time, subtle and nuanced. All those little sure. kind of uh, idiosyncratic touches. Mm-hmm. And, and again, it's so genuine. Again, like, it's so honest. But it's so interesting that it's not that the jokes like are necessarily better. Like Junior, yes, uh, Doctor Jones, and they both answer at the same yes. time. It's not like they're better than the stamp gag or the bugle spitting <laughs> jokes. It's but just they work pro- better. It's like it's the it's a simple joke done well instead of a basic joke that is forced. Mm-hmm. I think that's the difference. But yeah, it's weird how quickly that all kicks in at once. Mm-hmm. Well, and some of it is character driven. I like that because he calls him Junior again, and he says, "Don't call me that, please." Mm-hmm. You know, he becomes such a little boy in the moment. You know, it's such good writing, and those are great little touches. Well, also there's the the sort of uh, the forget Paris dimension of, of of kind of you know observational comedy about parenthood, mm. because you know the I, I love all the the way that he's the way that his uh, father is written is so um, accurate to yeah. to how parents are. Like he's saying everything that's happening out loud as it's happening i mean that's that's what parents do right you know when it's the... like billy crystal and forget paris driving yes. around his father-in-law he's just saying everything and that, <laughs> and that's what it is and you know he's continually commenting on everything that happens when he said look what you did i can't when believe he, oh, what was, you did that, i was just gonna say when he says that when he kills the guards look what you did i can't believe yeah. what you did and he grabs them you know the, the framing then, yeah. of it from spielberg mm-hmm. is really great it was a delight. I don't know if you saw the same making of that I did, but um, it was a delight to see footage of Spielberg, Connery, and Ford on set imitating like Three Stooges. Three Stooges, routines. yes, I saw that. Yeah. And you can see them trying to work it out. It's called, so more goes like that, and then Lally goes like this. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, you know, that you can see why they're talking about that, because of the physical comedy that they're doing in this movie is at that same level. Yeah. But it's great that we can just suddenly shift gears into a really good dramatic scene with the, you know, the reveal of Ilsa's portrayal. Right. Because again, Connery flexing a totally different muscle. This is his Bond film scene, right? Mm-hmm. He's where he's he's just like, no, you know, d- don't trust her. Don't trust her. Women are women are bullshit. <laughs> I'm Sean Connery. I know women are bullshit. I'm James Bond. I know women are bullshit. <laughs> Because Indy's instincts about people are completely wrong. But Always, yeah. It's like, and it's played, I like the way that it's played the sort of devil and angel on the shoulder, but it's inverted. So <laughs> he thinks that his dad is, you know, giving him bad advice. Right. But he's the only one speaking sense in the he thinks scene. He thinks he's the doddering old man who doesn't know what and he's, he's talking so about. Dead, he plays it so deadpan as well. He just contradicts, flatly contradicts everything that they say. Exactly. And, uh, yeah, this is our first female villain, isn't it, in the entire series? Yeah. So it's a new, that's a new twist. That, yeah, right. Uh, women can be villains, too. <laughs> so I guess that's feminism. <laughs> for, for an Indiana Jones as I un- As I understand, my limited understanding of feminism, I believe <laughs> that is the case. Yeah, and I think the femme fatale is baked into this. The the, the this, Yeah, you're right about she, that for sure. Her, her hairstyles look like uh, Veronica Lake. And Lake, right. Barbara Stanwyck as well. 
this is where we find out Indy and his father are sleeping with the same woman. Which, I mean, even without the behind-the-scenes knowledge, you know was a Sean Connery choice, and it absolutely was. He had to fight for this. Yeah, right. He wanted to spice up the character and and fuck over George Lucas's. Um, I mean, I just remember him puritanical saying, idea of the character. Yeah, he had said something to Steven Spielberg about it could happen, and it's funny, so we have to do it. <laughs> it could happen, and it's funny, and apparently that's enough for Steven Spielberg. That's all you need. Yeah. <laughs> But I just love the idea that Connery's working behind the scenes to to, to gradually spin his character into a womanizer. <laughs> There's like no hint of it up until that right, point. Right. <laughs> and it's just like, you know, that's that's the star persona, isn't it? It's like if I'm in a movie, I've got to be sleeping with the with the sexiest woman in the movie. Right. Right. Because I'm Sean Connery. <laughs> It's uh, it's funny that he's willing to do everything he he can for the character, but there are a few things where he's like, "Now let's not forget, I'm still Sean Connery." <laughs> let's, let's not forget what people. I'm still Sean Connery, you know. <laughs> and it's the the daily double of villain fakeouts because <laughs> this is yeah. the same scene where Donovan is revealed. Donovan. To be. Um, I told you. Like, I told you not to yeah. trust anybody. You dumbass. And I feel like doing that kind of back to back is not very effective. Yeah, I mean, you know, or they should have just done it at the same. They should have had it at, at the, the same, same time. time so, yeah. yeah, because it wants you to reinvest and then, mm-hmm. and then be surprised again, which you're not. Because yeah, right at that point, if Ilsa's if Ilsa's bad, then Donovan. Then of course just he's got to be, be in on it. Yeah, and yeah, I, I think we've covered the the the, the rest of the scene. Because it goes all the way to the Marcus jump cut, which we both yeah. like. Right. But, but it kind of the character also, completely. It kind of wish Indy was telling the truth about Marcus. That's yeah, the other movie. Right. That yeah, exactly. If, if, it, if it cut to, like, you know, Marcus driving a Jeep, you know, <laughs> in Egypt, like, pushing Nazis off a Jeep over a cliffside. <laughs> He's got his own mini-movie going on. Yeah. And then he fist bumps Salah, and then they, right. they they get on camels and go off into the desert. Let's get a goat but for sadly, dinner. Sadly, but here was the return of Salah. Yeah. Who, let's face it, was already big in Raiders. I don't mean physically big. I mean right. performance-wise. Yeah. But now he's bigger. A bit much. <laughs> like, you know, now he's... Davis push, pushed it as far as he could in Raiders with the right. but that was um that was as far as it went really you still felt that Salah was a real person at this point well not just that but you ha- he has that moment right after where he apologizes to us yeah, through exactly. by apologizing exactly. to Indy so you know? uh but in this one he's more clownish it's you know it's like he's become the uh yeah the court jester yeah the the nights are getting longer and Larry's getting larger. <laughs> yeah. Also, it's interesting that Salah is bamboozled by the same routine that his brother pulled on the Nazis in Raiders. Totally, right? <laughs> so it's both an inversion and a revenge yeah. at the same time. The Nazis are like, I remember when we would, when, when you hid from us in that square. You We're going to do the same thing ever again. Well, and meanwhile, yeah. Henry's starting fires. Yeah, his, and I think I like, mentioned this in the in the ranking episode, but 
the the idea of the dad what dad what dad what uh you know so the comic beats are coming quick and fast the second henry comes into the film but like you said they're always pitched a little bit better they might even be dumb jokes but they're they're performed better they they have more weight to them yeah also when ilsa is uh, sucking on indy's mm-hmm. lips and ears it makes you realize that instead of food sex is the gross out comedy in this movie right yeah because <laughs> you get that saliva trail between the lips <laughs> it's just fucking horrible <laughs> why does indy have a shamrock cigarette lighter don't know it looks like it's from a sports bar yeah in the modern day, it doesn't look like it's from the late 1930s. <laughs> it looks like it's from. That's what's a that place called Hannigans. Shenanigans. Yeah. <laughs> Shenanigans. <laughs> <laughs> but this is a great. This is a you know uh, uh, a great bit. Yeah. You know, s- sequels are on perilous ground when they introduce a relative. Mm-hmm. But this scene reminds you that with that when you see the kind of the way that the fire plays out you realize that Henry can build on the comedy that Indy already brings to the movie because it's just it's just another generation's worth of incompetence. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I think it's great and all of Connery's reactions to the to the fire as well, the the sort of like this like the the, the not quite accepting what he's done. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, and he's oh he's narr- It's great because he's the narrating room is on fire. We're, yeah, uh, he's narr- our situation <laughs> is not improved. That's a great one. I love the room is on fire because you know <laughs> it's needless exposition, but it totally it makes sense from that character. Yeah, he just wants to be the one to say that the room is on fire. <laughs> I, I um when Donovan so there's this scene, weird little mini scene when. Uh, Donovan reads the communique from Hitler. I don't know. Uh, (laughs) Someone in the Nazi elite. And and he says a line that I feel like was just made for the trailer. Yeah, no, totally. Germany has declared war on the Jones boys because that's not what's happening in any sense. (laughs) Germany doesn't give a shit as long as they get the Grail Diary about the Jones boys. Sure. It's just, but it's a good line for the for the trailer. It is just yeah, it's like the hats, right? It feels like more hats. Totally. (laughs) And it's so funny too because the what's his name, the guy who uh, says goodbye in Germany, and punches Indiana Jones. He wants to kill him right there, but Mm -hmm. they tell him no, and all it's like. He has to go downstairs just to have Donovan say Germany's declared war on the Jones boys just to give them enough time to set the room on fire, find the secret door in the fireplace and get down to the boats where they're going to steal the the motorbike. And I, I, I draw the line at the collapsing stairs. I think that's a it's like I don't like it when the slapstick is fortuitous or accidental. I like that to be some to come out of and build the character. And that doesn't right. either. Because it's just it's just a, a lucky accident. I don't. Yeah, exactly. I don't ever walk into a small room, and my first thought is, well, there's got to be some sort of lever to reveal another <laughs> <Right>. room. <laughs> and th- this is where, when they escape, this is where Indy has his looking off screen moment. 
where we don't know what he's looking at. Mm-hmm. So this is the 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 only other stylistic linchpin of the trilogy, as well as the as the map. You're right. This is the only thing that's commonly happened in all three movies. Mm-hmm. And then we're into a bike chase, which I was surprised to learn was a reshoot. Was a reshoot, and then. Go, you know, I keep kind of mentioning my original memories of seeing the film. I can remember seeing there's things to like in this bike chase, but the the one overall thing I I remember thinking in 1989 when I saw it was this looks a lot like California, mm-hmm. and that's because it is California. <laughs> <laughs> and I, you know, their I think their instinct is wrong. I think this would have been a great time to let the movie breathe a little, but they they inserted a there's a little bit of droid factory here mm-hmm. of kind of like. They felt like they. I mean, they say in that making of documentary, we didn't feel like we had enough action, right? But like, how can you think that? There's there's set piece after set piece. It's all, (laughs) yeah. And if if you cut straight from them escaping to them having the conversation about the Grail Diary, that's your perfect kind of palate cleanser Mm -hmm. for that moment. It's almost worth it though to see the. The look on Henry Jones Sr.'s face. Oh, it's great! Yeah, it's so good. And that's you know one of the mo- one of the, his look the of displeasure yeah. <laughs> when 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 young Henry is so pleased with himself is fucking. And I amazing. also and I love and this might be a controversial statement, but I love the connective tissue in Crystal Skull to that moment where he Which does the wh- same to Mutt on the bike. Oh yeah, yeah, he yeah. It, he gives him a he gives him a look just like his dad. <laughs> that's right um but this this whole sequence is i think it's like it feels like it was done in a rush because it's sort of like it's like half half recovered memories of Lor- the opening of lawrence of arabia and <laughs> matter of life and death and those kinds of movies to me it looks more like an episode of chips yeah i, I you know? don't disagree with that at all i think i think that's Spielberg's brain because he's trying to make something very fast. Yeah. Like as if it was a TV show and trying to use all the cinematic language that is always in his brain. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they managed to sort of crowbar in a Arthurian reference with the jousting. With the jousting. Yeah. And it, we haven't really talked about the, the, the Holy Grail because it, it, they take it in a biblical direction, which the mythology, the original recipe mythology of the Grail doesn't have. It's more right. uh, secular, but mm-hmm. they're taking it in a biblical direction. So they're constantly going between the Bible and King Arthur in terms of their mythology in the movie. Mm-hmm. They're kind of playing both sides of the aisle in that respect, um, which is great. I mean, I, I think it's done really well. Yeah, I don't have a problem with it. No, no, no. I think I think that's uh, absolutely fine. When he says into the lion's den, that's a dual reference to the Bible and King Arthur. Sure. So I I, uh, I think that's great. They're leaning into the raiders of it all a bit too much with the armies of darkness line, and John mm-hmm. Williams clearly picks up on that because he throws in a little he raiders. Goes, yeah, yeah, <laughs> totally. Da, 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 da. I just feel like it's like, why did you put that in there? I might have got away with it. <laughs> <laughs> they might not have known it was a pull from raiders at that point. What do you think of that moment of Jesus Christ and the slap, and that's for blasphemy? It's performed really well. Yeah. That again, it's that the when you learn that Lucas wanted him to be kind of a a puritanical character, mm-hmm. it makes more sense because 
what kind of uh, <laughs> going back to the last minute, what kind of Hindu serves his guest meats? What yeah. kind of um, conservative Christians going off sleeping with women willy nilly? Yeah, exactly. quite literally willy nilly in his case. <laughs> so there are these competing versions of the character, but it, it, it Connery is the man to reconcile all of that. Totally right. That's why it's such a big ask, and he's the only one who can he's the only one that can pull it off. Uh, but and, I, and the ferocity of the slap is great. I mean, it's right. not yeah, it's not a stage slap at all. Everyone, he's he's learned how to slap from the Nazi. Because uh, in the glove slapping in the last scene with the Nazis as well. Yeah, the Nazi slaps him with the glove. Which but I also like because it's like also Nazi, that's total stock villain Nazi. Like Nazis only do that in movies. I don't think there's any recorded historical instance of the Nazi slapping anyone with a glove <laughs> outside of a movie. We'll have to get our researchers on that one. <laughs> but I also I like the flavor of it. This this conversation between them. I like that moment where Indiana is talking about this is an obsession, and Mom never understood mm. it. Yeah. And this is something they just kind of flat out disagree oh, about. But and it's done like the mother backstory done in a couple of lines. Yeah. If the lines are good enough, that's all you need. Yep. I mean, I don't feel like I need to know any more about Indy's mother. No. I mean, I do because I've seen young Indiana Jones, but <laughs> I <laughs> I'm I mean, I've I, I've actually learned no more from watching Dealing <laughs> Indiana Jones than I learned from these two lines. So that tells you everything you need to know about you how need well to it's know. written. And then we're um we're burning books. We're burning books Berlin. and we're stealing back diaries. This is where it feels like Spielberg is looking ahead to Schindler's list. Because the Nazis in Raiders of the Lost Ark are, are very much stock villains. Mm-hmm. This feels this is very specific, right? This is this is like historical political reality that's being represented on screen. Yeah. We didn't really need this level of historical period detail, but, but it's we there. got it because because Spielberg wants to is leaning towards, you know, actually kind of representing the Nazi. There's a scene later on where he also throws in some, you know, kind of historical Easter eggs about the, the Nazis. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is the start of it, right? This is... Oh, yeah. This is where it gets kind of factual, and obviously it's a prompt for to see another side of Ilsa as well. So, we yeah, there's really that. Need. And... And I actually kind of, I mean, I, I've always kind of liked the joke of running into Hitler and Hitler signing the diary. Again, it's like it, it, it ramps up to young Indiana Jones where he meets a celebrity every week uh-huh. in history. But at this iteration of it, I'm, I'm fine with. The yeah. fact that it's it's the man who's played Hitler more times than than any other actor in screen history is what really makes it for me. I mean, obviously he's... Admiral Ozzel, right, from Empire Strikes Back as well. Here's what he's kind of famous for in Lucas. Oh, so I was just going to ask you. Cause, so I, I wasn't sure what else he'd been in, but I, I was he's going to Hitler say. He's played Hitler a number of times. I was going to say, he is like, he is great. Great, great, Essentially, great Hitler. they got the world's most famous Hitler impersonator. Yeah. It's kind of a naked gun move. Where they get that queen lookalike, who's the queen in everything. <laughs> totally. <laughs> but it almost feels like he's getting an autograph from 
from Michael Michael Sheard, not not Hitler. <laughs> and it's interesting because you know I, I'm saying that the set pieces are, re- are packed really tight in the movie, but it does feel like there's a flow and progression to events that yeah like modern blockbuster movies don't necessarily have it doesn't feel episodic like it feels the geog the the map helps because we're going we're moving geographically geographically over places every time we get to a new set piece it really helps break it up although and the scene is i mean spielberg's smart enough we can you know do a close in on a sign that says berlin and then we go to berlin Mm -hmm. and then how are we going to get out the first thing he's going to show you is the zeppelin Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, right. so there's there's that you know he knows how to he's got create yeah. that flow. He does, he does, yeah. and I think that's a that that's a lost art. I think that's mm-hmm. why movie that was not directed by him is not so good. <laughs> he's it's it's interesting. I mean, we you know obviously <laughs> going back to Jiminy Glick, Spielberg's got his big beef <laughs> with the Nazis, but he's enough of an artist to to sort of recognize game from other designers because he's he's kind of simultaneously enjoying the nazi imagery while decrying it Mm -hmm. because he films it in a way that's like there's a reason why everyone fell for this it looks beautiful you're yeah it's you know he he's and it's that's more to me that's a more interesting artistic approach although it's great in the making of where he's directing the guys who are doing the the Hitler salute. That's, he's yeah. Like, with your with your other hand, you can cross. Your Go fingers. ahead and cross your fingers. <laughs> yeah, I love that. <laughs> but but he kind of revels in that imagery in a way that's like you know he's he's seen those Lenny Riefen style movies and he's mm-hmm. seen, you know he understands why people went for it because they had like a you know this incredible propaganda system with, right that made beautiful movies that people you know fell in love with, so it takes a true filmmaker to recognize that yes, i think right and then yeah the zeppelin and the flying aces we see some no ticket what are what are supposed to be i think like famous early aviation german a- a- aviation kind of sars mm. giving a guided tour of the zeppelin okay to tell you what the newspaper joke always bothers me really it's it's half choreographed it should either be it's such a halfway house. Oh, yeah. Both either what it should. I, I know ex, this is it's really frustrating. And Spielberg sometimes his jokes are a little underbaked, and you're just like, just let it rise a little more. Mm-hmm. Because Henry is is in the room. Like it's not the two guys with the with the newspaper. You think that's Indy and his dad. But it only works if Indy and his dad both come into the room. It doesn't work if Indy's dad is already in the room, but yeah. he's just not the guy you think it is. It would have been such a stronger gag if those guys pulled down the newspaper and it was two different guys and then Indy and his dad walked through. Sure. I mean, that's how the Simpsons would do it. <laughs> and therefore, that's why it's That's why it better. would be good. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought you were going to speak specifically about, you know, the... Oh, no ticket? The cane on the newspaper. Mm. That joke where Henry has to look kind of to the cane and slowly look up mm-hmm. in a way that feels like a cartoon that wouldn't, you know, that doesn't really ring true. 
it does accept it does ring true because and again i'm sure connery and spielberg thought about this he's not wearing his glasses oh okay all right so he's he's he does he he's a sense that he he does can't even see who it is right so that car, that, right, moment of cartoon, that moment of cartoon realization is as much when I don't have my glasses on. Oh, it's the Nazi. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's there are problems uh, comedically in these scenes, mm-hmm. whichever way you cut it. Well, but it's the, like the it's back a... projection's not great either. No, but again, 1989 was a busy year for ILM. That's all you need to say. I give I give them a pass. <laughs> Yeah, and they're still in a stage where they're experimenting with all of this. So that's the mm-hmm. other reason I give them a pass is that that they they're not saying this is perfect. They're just they're just trying to push the envelope. Yeah, and I think it's kind of a tale of two jokes because the stuff, the stuff with uh, what you were talking about in terms of uh, checking on the people, like it would be better mm-hmm. if they came in. But mm-hmm. once you get them alone together talking oh. to each other, then what it's... What a scene. Best scene in the film. Best scene in the movie, right? Just the, the complete. You left again. just when you were getting interesting? Oh. What a the, line. <laughs> I mean, that's the one that always stands out to me. And then this time, there was there was other lines that, that just delighted me in their complexity and nuance. Mm-hmm. When he says, I was a wonderful father. And it's like, yeah. oh, yeah. He believes that. It's he not does, that right. He, it's not as simple as, I'm apologizing for not being a good father. I did the best I could under the circumstances. He's like, no, I I was great. It. Yeah. <laughs> My approach was not because of circumstances. My approach was the right thing to Carefully do. Carefully planned. <laughs> and I can't help but think this is all Tom Stoppard because like, they are... I mean, the way that they're performed, it's beautifully performed by both of them. The power dynamics between them, and they totally. just do it by shifting their bodies yep. back and forth. And the script knows when, and the script knows where to move on. Yeah. Do I hear this a complaint? No, a regret. Mm-hmm. That kind of back and forth is really fantastic between the two of them. And again, I love that the Crystal Skull picks up on this. Like the the last time we had a drink together, you had a milkshake, and then of course he meets Mutt in a diner. It's yeah. great. That's such a such a great pull. Um, but you really get a sense of the, these two guys who see the world very differently. Yes, and absolutely. There's, there's no, and there's no common ground between them, and yet, but they still love each other. Which mm-hmm. Spielberg is very good at directing that dynamic with people. Yes. He's he, he it's it's his you know it's his his forte as a director. That, <laughs> absolutely, to, I think. I do want one line, just one line of explanation. As to why he now can fly a plane. Well, they explain it, I think. No? Not really. Fly, yes, land, no. That's a Temple of Doom reference. It's I was a Temple of Doom a... reference, but he didn't know how to fly in that movie. He was getting there. She says, can they you run fly out of the plane? He says, she says, you know how to fly this plane, don't you? He says, no, do you? He doesn't know how to fly a plane. But what Just, does he say after that? He says, how hard can it be? Look, there's the fuel. And we're checking this. <laughs> and then he notices there's no fuel. And so that this line is completely accurate. It's also I want... one of the only explicit references to Tem- Temple of Doom in any of the following movies, which saddens me. 
Yeah, that's I think bad. The next one is in Dial of Destiny, and this is not even avert; it's just implied. I would prefer just a slight nod to. Yeah, I you know I learned along the ways. You gotta take a lesson or two. I didn't yeah, get as well, far as landing. <laughs> Some past experience taught me it might be useful to know how to fly a plane. Yeah. No, no, I, I like, I like it because it, it, it calls it sort of like I have successfully flown a flown a plane. I have never successfully landed a plane. <laughs> well, it's also uh, eerily, eerily prophetic of Harrison Ford's later life as well. Totally right. When you hear that line, you're like, I'm really glad he didn't die in that plane. It's crash still true he... to this day. Knows how to fly, doesn't know how to land. But think if he'd have died in one of his many plane crashes over the past few years. That we'd have never been able to watch that scene without crying. Right. <laughs> so we're lucky that he just fucked up his leg. Oh, or whatever great. it was. Well, uh, we're about to uh, take on the, some Nazis in the plane and then uh, meet a knight. Why don't we take one last break and then we'll come back. <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> that makes it sound so exciting. <laughs> you make it sound like you reduce everything to, to a video game. Well, it's like we're gonna we're gonna fight some Nazis and then we're gonna meet a knight and the knight's gonna come up. You have won. Holy <laughs> crap! You have chosen wisely. <laughs> we'll be right back. If you like podcasts like I do, boy, do I have a treat for you. You need to stay on target and check out the Sounds and Cinema podcast. Listen as your host, sound designer and music creator, Tony Parham, and co-host, musical performer and sound lover, Derek Hansen, D-Rock if you're nasty, and I am, discuss all things sound related to film, television, stage, and theatrical productions. They discuss environmental sounds, bioacoustics, dialogue, the nature of communication through sound. But as an added bonus, they drink beer and try to... Stay on target! Find them wherever you get your podcasts and listen to the pure mania of a man who can charitably be described as Doug, the dog from Up, and another man with a soothing and sultry voice trying to get that man to... Stay on target! That's the Sounds and Cinema Podcast. Tune in and listen to the sounds they are creating just for you. Here we are, back once again, to finish up with The Last Crusade, not the last movie in the series. No. So is, is, was, that, was, that, uh, was that their mistake, calling it? The Last Crusade. Yeah, I was just thinking that I never. Had, if they hadn't called it The Last Crusade, would, would no one have ever thought of making another movie? Exactly. It's just, it just occurred to me that they called this movie The Last Crusade. Yeah. And not the last. Yeah. Right. Because it's, you know, it's kind of double meaning. Because they talk about yeah. the Crusades, and this can be The Last Crusade, you know, but. Yeah. And it's Indy's last adventure. But it's so. Indy's supposed like to be say, Indy's even, last adventure, right? Even the title is waving goodbye, like you said. Yeah. With one hand. <laughs> it's got. His, it's like the Nazis. It's, it's got, got his fingers, got fingers crossed. crossed totally. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, our boys, our heroes are going to get onto this plane, and I think we've already kind of discussed this, but... We have, yeah. It's, you know... Uh, it's, it's shoot, Connery... I mean, again, like, it's, it's, it's good... It, it's great when you see Harrison Ford debunking the bond mythos but when you actually see james bond, bond doing yes. it in indiana Marvel, when it's sort of like you've never seen you know sean connery's james bond miss or i guess suppose like like hit a target like that you know right. like mistakenly or even it's, before it's just... even before the target what he there? He's just saying eleven o'clock, Dad. Yeah, yeah. He pulls out his pocket watch. Yeah. You know, <laughs> what happens at eleven o'clock? It's and you know it's 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 part of uh, Connery's sort of post Bond plan was to sort of do everything he could to distance himself from that character, and this is mm-hmm. another example of him doing that. I mean, obviously, the peak of that is wearing a diaper in Zardoz. Because then, yes. you know, that, that will stain any memory of James Bond. <laughs> but this is similar. It's like seeing him as fallible and fucking up all the time. Yeah. It's not what we expect from a Sean Connery character. And he not only, like, pulls it off, but does it with... with the look on his face, bomb. yeah. Totally. And it's, it's, it's fantastic. And you get this, it's almost like he's really aiming for it. <laughs> Son, they got us. Yeah, and and so I think all that is is wonderful. Like the effects are ropey here and there. I yeah. love that everything that involves in it, their exchange is great. Right. So when they when they get onto the ground <laughs> and the exchange they have at the wall. Oh my god! The, their it's, timing. It's, it's one of my favorite parts impeccable. of the entire movie, just yeah. because the timing is so good. Like he, and that's the thing. Like that they're they've tuned into this kind of father and son way of speaking where the son doesn't even let the father finish because he knows exactly what he's going to say. Right, they're shooting at I know, he's Dad. Just, he's so he's angry when he says, wa- I know, Dad. He's just waiting. He's waiting for it to come out and he stands there and waits. He knows it's going to happen and before he's even finished saying those people were trying to kill you, he's already saying, I know, Dad. <laughs> Happens to me all and, the time. Well, he oh, oh, and, and the way that, he, he just he puts his briefcase case, back yeah. into his chest happens to me all the time. <laughs> so I love that. I love that exchange for because of that. Yeah, I do too. And then we already kind of talked about the man that they inadvertently killed by leaving him in the desert and stealing his car. Well, there's the, also the. Spielberg seems to love this joke, but again, I, I it, it goes a little bit over my head. If he really likes the idea of the pilot looking at them as he goes, yeah, we the talked tunnel. about that I think in the ranking episode because it's strange. It's he really a, likes that moment. Joke. Yeah, it's not a funny joke. To it's me. not a great joke, and also it's punctuated by the guy dying in an explosion yeah. once he gets out of the tunnel. You know. I mean, but it's part of I that think... sanitized violence I was talking about in the ranking episode where. There's yeah. something that's I don't know. Steven Spielberg is really the only director I can think of that does it as well as he does. I can't really think mm-hmm. of another director that can show us yeah. truly violent things happening and make us laugh. Yeah, he's he's got that duality. You can play both sides of the aisle better than perhaps any other filmmaker. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's it, it doesn't it doesn't really doesn't really work for me um and you can see what they're going for this kind of north by northwest style 
sequence, mm-hmm. but it it's a uh, it's it's a lot of low hanging fruit. You put it that way. <laughs> um, but the way it ends, I think, is spectacular. Okay, I was going to ask you because I like umbrella birds. I, right? I like the umbrella birds. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's great because you know there's a little there's a nugget of bond in there. The idea of kind of using his umbrella his, as a his, gadget and his brain. And his yeah, using his, like yeah. his umbrella as a but gadget. But it's, it's also includes him going. And then it, le- you know, the- and you have this again, a very violent kill, which yeah, you know, right. Spielberg again is good at concealing the gravity of that. Yeah, suddenly he's okay with it because he's just strolling with that umbrella after he causes yeah. the death of that pilot. Uh, and it le- and the violent kill then leads into a tender moment between Indy and his father, which is great. Mm-hmm. When he's walking along the beach, misquoting Charlemagne. <laughs> Uh, by the way, as Indiana Jones bit it, they did the research on this. Charlemagne never said anything close to this. Okay. <laughs> and apparently never would. Like, this it totally goes against whatever philosophy he had. <laughs> <laughs> so, but it's lovely, just him strolling on the beach with Yeah, it's really funny. And, you know, the first time Indy sort of sees him as a man. Yeah. And not just his, like, a, as a contemporary, not just his father. <laughs> it's a, a great moment. But... Then I think sort of one of the least successful scenes in the film <laughs> comes directly after this. The prince, Alexi Sale is uh, <laughs> once again the set the second brown face in this movie. We we never talk about how Salah is brown face. It's interesting to me. I'm really surprised that right that twenty 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 three got back with allowing this Welshman to play <laughs> an Egyptian. But anyway, uh, here we've got Alex, you know, the British comedian Alexi Sale. Uh, playing this, uh, the so th- I mean, this scene is is weird for so many reasons. Not least that, like the the specificity of it, like go, <laughs> Republic of Hatai, and originally like, well, where is that? What is that? <laughs> and then if you look into it, you find out that it was the Republic of Hatai for like eighteen months. Oh, really? Before, I didn't know that. Like, like it was Republic, like. They, I guess, setting it in this period, they had no choice to call it. But it was only like the Republic of a Tie for like eighteen months between two coups. Wow, it's such a weirdly specific detail. Talk about timing. And uh, you know, this is another one of um, Spielberg's kind of historical talking points, which is that they're um, they're trying to buy off the prince with Nazi gold. Stolen yeah. from Jewish Jewish people, which they say donated by um, Germany citizens. Some of the means, nicest, yeah. yeah, the grandest yeah. German families. Yeah, exactly. Which is you know code against for their for will. Jewish families, yeah, code <laughs> for Jewish families. So uh, I like that. I like that touch. But in the same way that I can feel like I can detect a Tom Stoppard line when I hear it, yeah, I also there's a non one. Well, I yeah, I can detect lines that George Lucas wrote. This Rolls Royce scene. Totally. When he starts describing the Rolls Royce from, you know, nose and I to even tail. like the color. I was just like, I was just like, you, I, George Lucas came in and wrote this scene. It's like, <laughs> hey, George, you know about cars. <laughs> and maybe the worst joke in the movie, the mo- well, the the most groan worthy joke ends the scene. I think, with uh, tanks, you're welcome. Mm-hmm. It's just like it's like a inserted sitcom scene. Yeah. And do, does it it feels very three's company. It feels does it on do that level. For, yeah. D- 
does it do anything for the movie? I mean, no. It's kind of uh, weirdly, it's analogous to what happened when the crew arrived in Jordan. You know, they 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 sort of they were treated like royalty by the mm-hmm. by royalty. Yeah, when they got there. So there's a kind of an on-screen... I believe the princess was even, like, driving Steven Spielberg to the set a few days. But it doesn't even make sense on that level, because it's not a very flattering representation of Middle Eastern royalty. Right. So, uh, yeah, I... I always just try try to move on to the next great joke, which is, we're well out of range, Dad. (laughs) Yeah. It's another Jones fucking up moment, and I love it. What the what what I every time I watch it I think would we have been questioning where they got the tanks if this scene wasn't in the movie and I don't think we no would. I wouldn't yeah totally I would think the Germans have resources <laughs> that's it that's so easy like, isn't it it's very it's such simple a, it's such an obvious leap of logic yeah and this is where it's sort of blink and you could be in the penultimate scene of Raiders yeah it's totally up on a high on high <laughs> ledge with the Nazis down below. Um, and Ray, Raiders Marcus is back for a moment. He has one of his lucid. He's one of <laughs> he his has a lucid, lucid moment. Because um, he sort of warns them that uh, they're going on a fool's errand. Yeah. And then the Brotherhood return, which kind of we needed. We needed to see them again at least once. To, I think. For them to matter, right? For them, for them to matter. Um, and. What doesn't make sense, though, is why the Brotherhood aren't still trying to kill Indy and his father as well as the Nazis. Yeah. Isn't it the idea that they're supposed to protect the Grail against anyone who's trying to steal it? Yes. <laughs> yeah. It, I, they also don't explain why. Maybe he, he takes him at his word that he just wants to get his father back. So, hmm. you know. But when he sees him with his father, he must be like. This guy played me. Yeah, right. This guy's... He's worse than these Nazis. The worst part is he's kind of right. It's not like... No, he's not wrong. As I said, the Brotherhood are probably the best people in any of these movies that we've seen. Yeah. And they they only appear when we have a plot point we need to cover because (laughs) they're the only way that Indy found out where his dad was. And now they can point the way to the Grail. Mm Mm-hmm. So, now, know. what do you think of this whole tank action scene? Uh, again, like is like all of this movie, the emotional father son stuff in the scene really gets to me. Yes, there's never a time when Henry's crying out for his son that doesn't get from the that tank doesn't that never, rare, yeah. Me. And now I'm a father. I'm an absolute wreck every time I hear it. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of fluff and nonsense too. There is, you know, and it's it's funny because when when Marcus gets in the tank, when Henry gets in the tank, and he and Marcus do this old whole college handshake, yeah. and then Marcus starts doing chicken wings. Right. You just like, do we really need this? Not to mention, not a great plan. Like, like, yeah. like I'm just gonna slip into that tank, get Brody, and then we'll just walk right back out. And I think the movie has to do some heavy lifting. I mean, there's a lot of action stuff that you can enjoy and is thrilling or fun or exciting to watch. But Indy on a horse, just just battling the tank like you can. The movie, the movie is, you know, trying to show you 
how he can get away with that. But there's also guys in like trucks right behind him with 30 guns. So the movie has to kind of do some heavy lifting to make make you believe that all of this could actually happen. Agreed. So I think there's a little like two steps forward, one step back throughout the entire Uh, scene. I think that's accurate. They feel like they have to put a comic tinge on everything. It also looks like it's filmed in California. Yeah. I also also don't understand why why they think again it's like jokes they think are funnier than we do. Mm-hmm. Salah's brother-in-law's car, not interested. <laughs> Got to have the camels. Give him something better to do. Yeah. Than continually talk about his brother-in-law's car and how he has to how he has to pay him off with camels. I said zero camels. That's five camels. Yeah, it just goes on and on. and it just it, never it, stops. Because they got nothing for Salah to do. That's the problem. Yeah, that. Yeah, you're right. Except be this kind of, you know, uh, colorful sidekick of old. Mm-hmm. But like you said, it's punctuated. It's real. It's it's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> there are moments that make me cry. There are moments that make me laugh. When Indy comes up behind them and looks mm. over the cliff behind them and kind of yeah nods his head like <laughs> that always gets me a laugh when when Henry Sr. is crying out for his boy that always gets to me I even I, like yeah. I even like the you know it seems a little too on the nose but I like the moment of the push in on Indy's face with the hat uh, mm. blowing off his head I'm okay with that mm. yeah yeah, I mean, another couple, another couple of kind of bond points is that this point in the movie that I'm reminded of that uh, Julian Glover's arc in this movie is exactly the same as his character in For Your Eyes Only. Oh, he okay. The same arc as Kristoff uh, in that movie, which is fascinating given the parallels between the two and the fact that Julian Glover was a, was a Bond villain a few years ago, just as Alison Doody was a Bond right. girl a few years ago. And this movie also has the octopusy problem of too many villains. Yeah, right. Because we're like, like they never, you know, the, we're the, deep. The Vogel is like one villain Once, too many. Yeah, exactly. Once we get and to so when Indy's fighting him, it doesn't feel climactic. It doesn't feel like it's anything mm-hmm. that needs to happen in the movie. Uh, and then you, you know, that really callous joke of the gun through the three bodies, which right was looks like an outtake from Temple of Doom. It's so dark. Yeah, right, right. Uh, I like the pen trick, though, because it's another, you know, mm-hmm. Bond pull, the pen gadget, except it's not a... It's like the umbrella. It's, it's, he's using it as a gadget, but it's not a gadget. But it's not a gadget, he yeah. He has to use what's actually in it. And then Brody has to say what we're all thinking. Which is... The pen is mightier than the sword. Oh, uh, <laughs> Marcus is there at this point to make Henry look cool at this point. Yeah, right. That is his only job in these scenes. Yeah, and again, when Indy's covered with that dust, Mm -hmm. it reminds me of that key distinction between this and the Bond films. It's like, it's the grooming. Sure, right. It's like, Bond would never let himself get this dust, this covered in dust. Sure. Yeah, and there's the, the kind of weird body horror moment of the Vogel screaming into the lens as he falls yeah and there's Which the effect doesn't quite work and yeah it feels because it's also anomalous to the movie's tone as well yeah 
Because there's not much body horror in this movie compared to no. the last two. But effects-wise, were you know, the, the model work would actually work if there wasn't a body attached to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you know, when you don't get the animated version of coming straight down to the camera, yeah. and that actually mm-hmm. the one after that when it hits, that the the just the model work on the tank really looks good and works. Oh yeah. But when you attach the body to it, it it throws it off and makes it look not as good as it is. And I think they were going for a... Well, there's a better version of this later on in this movie, but I think they were going for a kind of Raiders melting face moment as well. Yeah. Which they do get eventually in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but not but you're also right about but not Vogel. Because <laughs> Vogel, yeah. Vogel has not become the... He's not the Pat Roach that we want and need yeah he's in between henchman and villain mm-hmm. he's in between henchman and secondary villain yeah right so that's not a comfortable place to be yeah i'm fine with it with like the hat flying off again like i feel like i've said this before that the hat could have gone in raiders and i would have been fine with it but now we're so attached to the hat that he has to get the hat back and it li- they literally have to throw it back into the frame. Mm-hmm. It's the only way he can get it back. I do actually like that moment, though, when the the, the hat rolls back in because they make, they make I no attempt too. to just make it seem plausible. It's just yeah. like, here's your hat. Right. Go and go to the end of the movie. Now go go go, go get the, the grail, goddammit. Yeah, now go finish this movie. Yeah. The hug between them, well, once he, you know, once he, uh, when they're reunited... Mm-hmm. The hug is glorious. I love that. That gets me too. Uh, it's, and this is the the only kind of moment where you see Salah really emoting, and it's great. You mm-hmm. realize John Reese Davis would have, you know, if they had given him some emotional weight, to, he could have he done could've, quite a bit. He could, yeah, because it's great. And Marcus is just a waste of space at this point. I mean, that's okay. that's part count, of the problem. Counting, the, counting magical ones in the air. Right. That the, the... fucking do it. <laughs> The bench is too deep. You can't have four, four uh, people deep on the bench of an Indiana Crystal Jones Skull movie. Crystal Skull would disagree with you. That's not, they would say it's not enough. That's, that's, that's too few. One of the Sorry, many kids. problems, sir. Yes, Thank exactly. You. I, I agree. You're right. Although, if you, <laughs> the thing is that not that I want Salah to be more comedic at all, but. Mm-hmm. It makes more sense if you flip it, where Marcus is the one, as as both of their lifelong friends, who take who 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 enjoys this moment, and Sal is the one who's all happy about he and but yeah, you and but right, they, right, right. you know that that would kind of make more sense yeah. character wise, yeah, even right. though I don't want to see any of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't want it to be in the movie, but it's even <laughs> it's it's wrong wh- whichever way you look at it. All right, well, and then let's... a great that turn to camera where Connery's like. Yes. We're so near the end. We're so close. Come yeah, on, boy. Again, waving goodbye. We're waving goodbye before yeah. the uh, the literal wave goodbye. It feels then, like total breaking the fourth wall and then the hat comes it, in. And yeah. yeah. But uh, but again, all of that is is like actual tips, tip of the hat to saying goodbye. Like we're just, yeah. you know, they're, they're coming fast and heavy now with those moments. And it's a me- you know it's established itself as a metafilmic franchise, so I don't have any problem with moments like that. Mm-hmm. Clearly, if I like the opening of Temple of Doom, <laughs> and then we're then we're in Petra. Yeah, that now it's time for booby traps. 
yeah, we got a. It's such a good idea to use this practical location for a mystical locale that even Mortal Kombat decided that they wanted. Yeah, to follow you're something. right. Yeah. <laughs> and it suddenly feels, but like we're back in Temple of Doom with the headless soldiers and people watching behind rocks. Right. 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 And then Marcus does goes cross-eyed at gunpoint. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of funny, like, off mic, I was, when we, we made our back-to-school reference, and I immediately said, imagine Rodney Dangerfield as Marcus in this movie. <laughs> this is a moment of the movie that would be improved if they, subs- you know, if it was <laughs> guest-starring Rodney Dangerfield as Marcus for this scene. The gun goes into his face, he's and like, he says, yeah, no he's respect. Just, he's just adjusting his tie. <laughs> yeah. oh, hey! <laughs> tell you, I get no respect. <laughs> yeah and 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 so has it has the idea of like everlasting life been articulated before this scene do we you know that's it... why we're going after the grail yeah that, i think he mentions or is it, that supposed I... to be a twist is that donovan no, is that why donovan i think donovan mentions it when he first meets indy but doesn't he say something in the scene like i want it for everlasting life the nazis want it for world domination yeah Okay. Um, I'm making the quest about saving his father's life. The knight could have caused the the knight. It it occurs to me now that the knight could have you know solved a lot of problems if he just put a note up before those first blades that just says, "By the way, I can't leave the past the seal. You have to stay here forever." If you well, it's just like Donovan leaving it to the end to say that his father was the leader of the project. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you're burying the lead once again. Yeah, always. But 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 making the quest suddenly about saving his father's life is the kick in the pants that the movie needed. Yeah, totally. Because it brings the plot and the theme together. And this this as Spielberg tells it, this seemed to happen organically where mm. you know, Lucas was pushing the idea of the Holy Grail. Spielberg wanted to make a movie about fathers and sons and this was where they they thought that those two ideas could come could together. Come yeah. They, it's absolutely, it, it's exactly the right They're thing. right about that. Yeah. But yeah, more booby traps. We're sort of looping back to the opening of, of Raiders here. Yeah. And a kind of ring theory. But none of them are as good play. as Raiders. No, but they're pretty good. Yeah. I mean, they're, pu- you know, they're like, it's like a cinematic crossword. It's sort of puzzle solving. Yeah. Which well, I like one, because I, it's a, it's a movie about an academic hero, so I like that they're no, yeah, I don't have like a problem with that. Puzzles. I think I I uh, the one I have the most problem with <laughs> is that they don't look good, and the second one, because if he stepped on that thing and fell through it, he's still facing forward. So if he grabbed onto another plate, that plate should fall away too, <laughs> unless it's one of the letters for Jehovah, unless it's controlled by the. Christian God who is in charge of this all. Yes. And <laughs> I would, you know, I'd like to see some some sort of rock underneath all the ones that are, you know, yeah. it's just it's just a big vacuum. There's nothing holding those things up. Yeah. Uh, but they save the best for last because oh, well, and I like the fact that they call back to him counting in Greek and now he has to think yeah. in Latin, so it's something that we know he should be able to do, but we also don't know if he's able to do it. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a great dilemma to be in. And of course, you know, the juxtaposition of, of Henry figuring out mm-hmm. that Jehovah Before. begins with Jehovah begins with an I. 
And then and then the cutting to the hard cut to Indy going, Jay and just stomping down with his foot. <laughs> Idiot. Yeah. I love the idea of him. He's like always stumbling into the wrong decision. Yeah. And then I think the leap leap of faith is I mean, it's such a great optical illusion. It's like yeah. the combination of everything ILM have done up to this point. That they can just express everything about this idea in a in a, I like guess a the... really in a really what seems like a really simple uh, mm-hmm. optical effect that must have been an absolute bitch to pull off. It's a nightmare. Yeah. And that the <laughs> thing is is like it it shows the good work of ILM. I'm not that part is believable whether or not somebody yeah could do it in action in real life that's the part I take issue with but it's not real life I know but it's a simple idea isn't it it's like it it's is, not a yeah. leap it's not a leap of faith it's just that you have to believe there's a bridge there but look there's a bridge there right you just can't see it and so I, love, I, I, I forgive that, it for I love that, that it's and we've seen, you know, we've seen the picture. We know something's up because we've seen the picture of him, you know, like following the cup over right. the chasm. So we're like, we, we, you know, we're we're curious. It's like, what could this possibly mean? And yeah, it just and it comes down to ILM's great visual wizardry. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I love that it's, uh, you know, it's what Spielberg says about every every department working together. And this was ILM's moment to shine, and and they do. Essentially, you know, as far as they knew, the the sort of climactic set piece of the movie, pretty much mm-hmm. of the of the trilogy, and then we get to the Grail Knight, yes, who immediately falls backwards with a Star Trek comedy sting, <laughs> which is a gratuitous and unnecessary breather, I think, at this point. You know the stakes are pretty. The stakes are pretty high. Yeah, we don't have time for this slapstick shenanigans now. Henry's dying in the other room. Tell me what you think about the night. Uh apart from that, uh, that st- literal stumble. Hmm. I I think he's. It, it, I don't like the idea of it. I think it's performed very okay. well. Okay. So that's I my think, deal. <laughs> I, think, I think it's I think performed it's... very well. I think it's a bad idea. Yeah, they got this old Shakespearean guy to like you know, bring it gravitas and legitimacy. Yeah. But as soon as you start to personify the fantasy storyline, it leads you down a very bad road. And the yeah, next two it's movies dangerous. really, really both movies suffer from personifying mm-hmm. the, the fantasy element. Because, right. You know, the art the, before it was just objects, right? It was like supernatural objects. Mm hmm. And from this point on, what you know now that now it is the, it is still a supernatural object. It's the Holy Grail, but the Holy Grail has a kind of a Highlander protecting it. A so guard, it's a whole nother, yeah. It's a whole nother level of fantasy that the movie has to contend with. Yes, he can ch- keep drinking from the cup, but he also has to just sit in a room for seven hundred years. <laughs> that seems like. Yeah. What we know about mental health, he's not gonna be. <laughs> he's not gonna be. That's how, that's why place. Marcus is the way he is now. Yeah, he, he was the last guy who did this job. <laughs> and also, I think it's not like this whole sequence feels very Halloween. It feels very spirit, spirit Halloween, mm. like the cobwebs <laughs> at the beginning. Yeah, and then right. When we get to the Grail Knight, like he's not. 
he's not very imaginatively ghosted up. They've just got like gray makeup on him. Yeah, right. And I feel like it's that they've not really thought about how we make him a supernatural being. Being they just right, have some gray makeup. On and, him. But you know, because it's also fu- they don't want to admit that they've gone that far in the movie. Exactly like, right. But it's funny how far just a good performance can take you, because I forgive all of it based mostly just on his performance and of course once you get to the line he chose poorly yeah you're one over one of your video is that in one of your video games as well <laughs> no just mola rom no. i tell you just yeah mola and I, rom. I, I love julian glover's anecdote about that getting a getting a laugh in the audience yeah that was really like fun yeah had, and it wasn't a laugh that they'd anticipated mm-hmm but he talks about how dryly he delivers it and how perfectly he yeah. delivers it. And he does. It's true. Yeah, he does. Yeah. Um, and, you know, just like Raiders, the villains are foiled by their own historical ignorance. Because mm-hmm. they're, they're, they're attracted to the wrong elements of the Grail. So of the Grail, the sure. thinks it's going to be the most garish looking cup that's there because he's a, you know, an American. Idiot. <laughs> he's literally an those are synonymous idiot. yeah he's the he, you know he's the kind of he's he's the kind of folk devil that uh green day will once will, will soon sing about <laughs> and then just like raiders it culminates in a moment of body horror yeah i done really enti- like that stop entirely, motion <laughs> yeah well it's it's digital it's cgi is it really yeah it's i like thought a, it was a combination of the two um, it's did yeah, it's like digitally um, created and enhanced. Okay. It looks like he's regenerating into Christopher Lloyd um, for a moment, <laughs> but it's like CGI with the intent and aim of keeping the effects as visceral as possible. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like we've ever seen CGI used this way again. Hmm. Like it, 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 it's it feels tangible. It doesn't feel like yeah. It doesn't feel uncanny valley at all. Like it feels like you're no. going through the motions of decay, right? And I love how they just cut to a skeleton falling to the ground. It's like so simple, but so effective. So easy. Yeah. Show the dust and wind on the skull. <laughs> and this is Ilsa's redemption. You know her redemption arc, isn't it? Because she's mm-hmm. sure she sets she sets him up for this she chooses it for him and yeah. i don't think i clocked that as a kid but now i oh know, really okay that's interesting yeah i mean you know i think i was just like he's <laughs> he's tacky he's gonna go for the tackiest cup <laughs> and it is partly that because he's like yeah it's definitely that one that one's got the most jewels yeah <laughs> but she has to set him up for that and so focus again we're back <laughs> like <laughs> no, right. But here, used for the sense of the ethereal again, slap some gray makeup on him, put some soft focus, and we'll believe in this ghost. Yeah, <laughs> right. Um, it's kind of put. It's kind of sloppily put together. And there's always a catch to these religious MacGuffins. It's never straightforward, is no, it? No, yeah. It's like the you got to read the fine print. <laughs> no passing the seal. Yeah, it's it's there's always a little. There's always a. There's always a catch. Mm-hmm. I love the. Sh- I mean, even though it's not Sean Connery's stomach, clearly because it has no hair on it. Um, when they use, there's when some hair on it, not yeah, Sean not Connery enough. level of hair. 
Well, that's what I mean. Like, yeah. <laughs> like you see it, and you go, "That's not Sean Connery's stomach. That's not enough hair for." Me but I love the stomach. effect. I've seen Diamonds Are Forever, the scene where he's walking around naked, and you know his pubic hair goes up to about his navel. <laughs> and then the whole like, <laughs> it's so funny, and even Spielberg is kind of amazed by this that we have this this Jewish filmmaker who can't help but put christian allegory in his movies yeah he already right. had et which is a jesus allegory <laughs> this moment of imploring the water over the wound holy water i mean it you know it could have come out of a religious movie is yeah that. it could have been from the sound of freedom it's such a good like effect i love it oh the yeah and it's it's just alka-seltzer right i think so but so simple so easy and so, but so effective, like you feel it, mm-hmm. you know, because they, they have him wince as it goes on, as if it burns right. slightly. Yeah. And then it kind of turns into a cigarette burn and then, and then it's kind of all washed away. Well, it's we... just, like, it's interesting that whenever Spielberg is asked about the Christian allegory, he feels like, yeah, I don't understand it either. I mean, I was raised Jewish. <laughs> I don't know why this keeps coming why up. Why does this keep happening? <laughs> <laughs> Without denying it, again, a refreshing change from Lucas. Well, and then, you know, because Elsa's got the cup and she's passing the seal and the, you know, the ground shakes and, and splits apart. I like that that old knight managed to dawdle himself across that bridge again. But, uh, yeah. But well, it's, it's easy now. Indy's thrown that dust on it. Yeah. Everyone, can, even Donovan can get over it now. But I, I, you know, there's always something that Spielberg will do that I think is really smart. He knows how to kind of punctuate. He knows how to kind of finish his movie. Mm-hmm. So the idea yes, of yes. Elsa trying to reach the cup and he can't hold her and she falls to her death because she can only think of one thing. And the idea of Henry catching his son and when he calls him Indiana... It's really good. Him saying "let it go" never, never feels, never fails to bring a tear to my eye. Yeah, it's the. I mean, it's literally it's the franchise-ending moment. Like he's mm-hmm. Indiana Jones has learned something for the first time for forever. Exactly for the first time ever. <laughs> he's figured out it's more important to surround yourself with loved ones than yeah. chase. You, you'd be off chasing treasure and fortune and glory Uh, so it's the culmination of everything in the franchise and all it takes is him calling him by the name he wants to be called and then right talent you know looking him in the eyes and saying just let it go let it go and for it you know the the reason it's so it has such weight is because it's been established throughout the movie that henry is the one who can't let go of this obsession so for him to say that it's permission for indy to stop caring right and then I think the best use of the knight in this whole movie is when he appears again. You're not quite sure how he hot puts it over <laughs> yeah. to the to, to that. But there's just a moment where Henry looks at the knight, and they have a moment of looking at each other, and it's yeah. like this is this is the morality tale. This is where Henry realizes if you give way to your obsessions, this is what you end up. This at. is how you. It's a yeah. This is how tale. you finish, right? And it's so clear. Does he wave goodbye? I always Mandela effect that he waves goodbye, but I don't think he does, does he? No, he does. Oh, he does? Okay. The knight does. Oh, really? Yeah, the knight. I thought I'd imagine that because... No, the knight puts up his hand. Oh, he does. Okay, so so it is literally him waving goodbye. It is. I think also is there the the acknowledgement that 
you know, if I'm not, you know, if I don't, if I don't focus on what's important, I'm going to end up like you. Yeah, totally. At that point. And then they, you know, the, 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 the running gag that we didn't see coming. Mm -hmm. Indiana Jones is named after the dog. The dog. We named the dog Indiana. Followed by uh, Marcus and one we did see coming. Mm -hmm. It's just him dicking around on a horse. <laughs> As they literally ride off into the sunset. Which is literally, is exactly what I thought when Marcus <laughs> would end the movie. <laughs> I know the way. Yeah. Yeah, and it's a great metafilmic way to end the movie, literally riding off into the sunset as the credits yeah. rise. And this whole movie has been kind of shaped like a western, mm -hmm. more so than the other movies, with the way you know the beginning, middle, and end have strong western elements. So totally. this is the this is the perfect um, ending for that, I think. Good stuff. Yeah. Overall. <laughs> <laughs> Every time, like the end, we make some kind of blanket statement of approval, and we have to walk it back just a little, just a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> All right. These movies, yeah, even well, the good ones, they have their problems. <laughs> Do you have a credit check, or should we just insert your credit check from the last episode? You probably could, because my first <laughs> credit check is, what is this featuring deal? Because again, the people credited as featuring are not in the movie for a very long time. <laughs> Second assistant director. Artist Robinson. Unless this is the biggest typo ever in a Hollywood movie, this man's name also has his credit in it. <laughs> if the man is really called Artist Robinson. He is his own credit. There you go. Financial controller George Marshall. There's so many Marshalls. Yeah, there's, there's a lot Marshall of Marshalls. College, financial controller George Marshall. Yeah. Frank Marshall, Frank producer, Marshall, producer, director of the um, making of. I, I did they did they give this guy the job because he's called Marshall and they wanted to have a Marshall plan, you know, <laughs> of economic aid behind the movie. Uh, charge hand riggers, special effects, Dave Skinner, Sid Skinner, the Skinner that boys. Sounds like, but what that sounds like <laughs> is that. There was child labor on the set. <laughs> and that at some point, Dave or Sid Skinner, whichever one is the father, died and was replaced by their son. <laughs> Either Sid or Dave. Yeah, the Jordan credit comes heavy with a lot of royal thank yous. Oh, very makes, much so. I noticed like, that, yeah. Yeah, it the, the the basically what happened in real life mirrored what happened in the Hatai right. scene. Donovan's Digital Compositing. It sounds more like the company that made the effect, not the result of the effect. <laughs> so that's... So yeah, Digital Compositing to make the... The face. The, face, the Doc Brown face. <laughs> <laughs> my, this, this could be one of my favorite credits of all time. Oh. Scoutmaster, Larry Sanders. <laughs> 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 I don't know why that's so funny. Just out there scouting locations with a dog that keeps jumping up. Yeah. Larry uh, Sanders. Like Larry Sanders. Unbelievable. That's great. Uh, Gestapo, Pat Roach. So Pat Roach is in this movie briefly. Yeah. So we were, we were cheated out of another Andy Roach fight. We really were. 
I, I don't, don't like know if that. it was filmed or, filmed or cut out of the movie or just never filmed, but I don't understand that choice. It's weird. Again, was it an adverse reaction to Temple of Doom? Maybe? I don't know. I don't think people even put together at that time that Pat Roach was the same actor from the first movie in Temple of Doom. How great would it have been if he... He had like a different hairstyle again. Yeah, exactly. It was just like it was just like Doctor Hibbert through the ages. <laughs> Every time you saw him, he'd have a different hairstyle. <laughs> Personal training for Harrison Ford, body by Jake. Uh, it's a less impressive credit than the one from the last movie, as if neither is quite happy with the results this time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's a little bit I mean, older, but he still looks great. Oh, I think he looks incredible, yeah. Is that it? That's it, yep. That's, All right. uh, that's my last credit check. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. The second sequel is in the books, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. We both say it's good a good movie. We both believe it's not the best sequel in the series, and we think that you might think differently. So you're going to have to tell us what you think. So find us on yeah, Facebook. Tell us, tell us why the stamp gag is actually good. Yeah, please. <laughs> find us on Facebook, Instagram, and not X, because it doesn't mark the spot. Hey! Nailed it. Definitely doesn't mark the G spot. <laughs> I'll say. <laughs> Go ahead and send us an email to everythingsequel at gmail.com. For Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions, Michael Schantz here. I'm from the How Dare You Awards. Coming up next, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Just saying that title took me four minutes. <laughs> Say goodbye to everybody, Tom. I got a lot of fond memories of that dog. <laughs> Again, I think maybe... You're doing you're doing a Mark Hamill impression of Harrison Ford. <laughs> well, isn't it also funny how he says that line exactly like Frank Rebin says, awfully big mustache. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> I do like that last junior he gives him and he says, Junior, Dad? <laughs> mm-hmm. I like that. I just I love I love that delivery of the line. Mm-hmm. Because it's it's like it's the wrong choice, but somehow the right choice. Yeah. I think Harrison Ford is like throughout his career, he's pulled that trick. Mm-hmm. Well, that's it, ladies and gentlemen. When you hear us next time, Crystal Skull time. Thanks for listening. We'll the be back. Come off. Yeah. This is where we start to battle. Oh, I can hardly wait. Thanks for listening. Thank you.